Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Well, greetings. Let me start again. <laughs> it's first thing in the Monday. What do you want? Greetings from the Gulf Coast. Yeah, I, I got to work out how to say that and not get all tongue twisted first thing. But uh, having broadcast since Friday, so I'm out of practice. Yeah, it's, it's true. You know, you don't do this for a couple of days, and all of a sudden you're back. And you think, oh wow, that is easy. I can do this. And then stumbling on my first words. No, uh, I have um, always I've always sort of contemplated putting that back in the uh, the original intro. You know, Milton uh, Milton's in Florida. I think I said enough times, but just in case. Anyway, um, this is a, a special day around here, uh, not because it's Juneteenth. Quite frankly, I don't care. It's another made-up holiday like Kwanzaa and a bunch of other things and, and all the various months. Um, again, we have uh, my little criticism of, of uh, Gay Pride Month is they dropped the gay uh, part of it and just called it Pride Month. Well, I, I'm proud too. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not gay, I'm, uh, you know, but I'm not. Uh, but I'm, I'm proud anyway of me. <laughs> Look what we've done here at Action Radio. I'm proud of a lot of things. I don't need a month celebrating it anyway. Uh, but the thing is, that I remember making a post not too long ago saying that uh, if you drop pride, if you drop gay from Gay Pride Month, that's like dropping black from Black History Month. I'm just calling it History Month. Okay, History Month. Well, that's great. Oh, everybody has history. So we'll celebrate it. Yay. <laughs> I don't think so. Anyway, Marco's listening in the Netherlands, and I'm here, and who knows who will join us as we go on. Um, we've got our usual Monday uh, crew. Jonathan mostly will join us in the next hour, and Dorothy, Diana, in the hour after that. And uh, I don't know, Dorothy may or may not take up our, our bill. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But uh, this is special. The last time we had an anniversary show was back in March when we did the two-year anniversary um, of our vaccine product liability bill. And that uh, is huge. Uh, Judy Mikovits, start again. <laughs> Judy Mikovits, Dr. Judy, joined us for almost three hours. I mean, she, she was there the whole time. She is the best promoter of that bill. She's unbelievable. She's going around the country helping us out. And we're still trying to reach um, Robert Kennedy um, and uh, hopefully get him to endorse that bill. So, you know, I'm nonpartisan here. I mean, I'm really not. I, I, I have contempt for both parties, both Democrats and Republicans. However, there are two exceptions. The exception on the Republican side is Donald Trump, and the exception on the Democrat side is Robert Kennedy. And if you have not heard the entire interview, as I did this weekend, um, with um, Joe Rogan, in fact, I've been trying to reach Joe Rogan. Well, maybe if I can reach you know, Robert Kennedy, I'll be able to reach Joe Rogan. Um, but the point is that that interview was absolutely fabulous, and Robert Kennedy went over the whole history of why he feels the way he does about uh, vaccines. You know, and I'm happy to say I'm an anti-vaxxer. I've been an anti-vaxxer since the 90s, ever since Gulf War Syndrome and squalene. And I learned about adjuvants and all this aluminum mercury crap that they put in there. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's part of the biggest cause of disease in this country right now and giving it to babies. You know, hepatitis B shots for two months old. I mean, come on, give me a break. What, you think they're going to, you know, uh, in fact, uh, personal example of that. In fact, I left uh, Kaiser hospitals, uh, the, the Kaiser system in California, because I specifically said, do not give my daughter a hepatitis B shot. You know, it, uh, I forgot how old she was, but it wasn't two months. It was older than that. It's a couple of years, two or three years old. And they did it anyway, because <laughs> they didn't care, right? I, I said, you'd what? Said, well, she might sit on a needle one day when she's 14 in, on a bus. I said, well, she's two or three or whatever it was. I said, don't worry about it. That is not your concern. I said, besides, you specifically violated uh, what I told you. You did something I specifically ordered you not to do. We're out of here. 
And I went to the front desk and uh, got the paper. I said, we're done with you people. Walked out. So you have to do that with these folks. You cannot let them do that. And, of course, uh, for a long time, um, you know, the, this whole idea of being an anti-vaxxer, you must, there must be something wrong with you if you think the vaccines are bad. Really? Well, how many times have you heard of diphtheria, tetanus, you know, mumps, measles, rubella, you know, all these diseases they vaccinate for, um, actually causing a problem if somebody caught it? They never tell you about that part. Oh, Marco's got a point here. He's not sure how it, how it works in, in, in our country. Yeah, Marco, if you get a chance to look up censorship, look up cen- – oh, that would be the thing to look up in the Netherlands. Um, I don't know how you would look it up. We have what's called uh, Section 230, part of Title 47. That's the part that – I'm going to go over that in a little bit. That's the part that allows our big tech companies to censor conservative speech. And, uh, you know, and Congress doesn't seem to care. I mean, I haven't heard anything from them about big tech. I looked up the articles this morning before the show. And they're all 2020 and 2021, maybe people in 2022. But ever since Brandon took over the government, nobody's cared about censorship anymore. I guess they just accept it as a natural course of events. Anyway, I'm sure every country either has a provision uh, that protects big tech um, from liability. So, look up, so, so I would look up liability protection for uh, what they call interactive uh, computer providers because that's what the or interactive computer services because that's what well, Marcos high tech he knows this stuff anyway that's what they call it interactive computer services let me let me get to that in a little bit back to uh, the the whole uh, um robert francis kennedy interview so anyway so so for a long time the medical industry has been doing whatever they please you know they do treatments and this is you know this is why i was a uh, terrified when i had a, a recent check where i was put under uh, this is last year um uh, that i was going to get maybe a, a covid shot and just because they felt it, well, they didn't, and I haven't, and uh, they, you know, and I, but I checked where I went. They didn't have them anywhere in the building, um, so that's a good thing too. So anyway, medical profession does what they want. What do they do? And, and now they're killing people for money. You know, if you kill somebody for money, if you're in the mafia, you go to jail. And if you kill somebody for money in the in the medical industry, you know, you get more money. <laughs> There's something really wrong with our society right now. Um, and one of the ways to get that information out there is to broadcast it, like I'm doing. Or put it on social media, um, or or get it on other news programs and have them broadcast it, or write articles, which I do, um, or many other ways to get. Or you know, like I said, I do a ton of social media posts. I write a lot of articles, and I broadcast a three-hour radio show, you know, five days a week. Uh, however, every one of those things is completely suppressed, oppressed, shadow banned, banned outright, <laughs> restricted, censored, put lower in the news feed. Uh, violated for, uh, you know, community standards, you know, and other things they do. And this happens all the time. You know, there's a reason this show doesn't have multi-million listeners worldwide, being the only show of its kind with a citizen legislature where anybody in the world uh, can learn how to file a bill in their country, in their government, uh, and advocate it with millions, millions of other people. This is it. We're it. The rest of the world still, still complaining, or as I call it, raising companies from our form. They don't do Anything. You look around the country, look around the world, look around everywhere. They're all they're doing is complaining. The biggest radio talk shows, the biggest video talk shows, the biggest podcasts, the biggest everything. They're still complaining. They're not doing anything. So what's the point? They're useless. Absolutely 100% useless. There's only one show that has absolute solutions right now and has had for years. Us. We're it. Which is kind of scary when you think about it. <laughs> you, you think uh, you know the good ideas would spread. There'd be a lot more folks that would uh, take a look. Anyway, uh, I post my uh, my bill in the live chat, and you can find it easily on 
Uh, writeyourlaws.com if you're listening by podcast, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com. Click on legislation on the menu bar. Click on all proposed laws, which is the third one down, and somewhere in the first like five or six bills. Uh, is our bill that says amendments to Section 230, eliminating censorship from big tech. Version 2. I don't know why I put version 2 in there. It actually is the second version. See, the first one was really complicated and didn't work. So I'm not afraid to revise my bills and totally scrap them and start over. If someone has a problem, if someone needs a comment or you know, someone makes a comment on a bill and it's a good idea, I put it into the bill. That's the whole point of posting these things. You know, So it's pretty straightforward. So uh, like I said, I'll go over this uh, just stuff in a little bit. But um, Robert Kennedy was so fascinating, again, going over the whole history of vaccines, also his environmental protection, and a bunch of other things. And he makes perfect sense. For a Democrat, he's unsure because he doesn't believe in, in uh, gun control and gun bans like most of the Marxists in the Democrat Party. Uh, he does believe in a border wall. Um, he's, uh, he's for a good economy. He doesn't believe in foreign wars like all the neocons that they're called. In other words, the, uh, the military-industrial complex. I'd say the military-industrial banking um, State Department, you know, Marxist complex is really what it is. Which brings us to a news item. Anthony Blinken, the alleged Secretary of State, because uh, he's not, because he's part of a fraud government, uh, is going to China for further instructions. And so his job is to go to China, suck up to the Chinese, um, you know, bend over and take one for the team, and then come back with instructions from Xi Jinping as to how Biden should run the United States. That's why he's going to China. Let's be blunt. That's why he's going. So little, little items in the news before we get started. Uh, the first one is that Joe Biden wants more gun bans, which he can't do because we have a Second Amendment. Now, the only problem with the Second Amendment is that nobody seems to want to enforce it, uh, especially the uh, GOP uh, known as the gelding old party around here. So we've got more gun bans that they're trying to do, which, of course, are illegal. Uh, they've got, uh, we've got Blinken going to China for more instructions. And we've got uh, this guy, Vivek Ramaswamy. <laughs> What's his name? Let me get, get it properly here. This guy's an idiot. Not only that, he's also a dangerous idiot. Uh, I got a theory. I'm going to put this to uh, Jonathan and, uh, and see what he thinks of it. But uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Ramaswamy. Let me cover this one right now because it's kind of funny. Trump 2024 opponent Vivek Ramaswamy holds rally outside Miami courthouse, pledging to pardon Trump after beating him. Well, first of all, he's not going to beat him. But secondly, the idea that he's going to pardon Trump, we only pardon people who are guilty. All right. See, I think there's something wrong with this guy. I think he's a plant. Uh, I got to check into his funding. Uh, I should ask Diane, who's uh, who's good at investigating electoral electoral stuff. Uh, she'll be back. She's been uh, been busy as, as all kinds of folks have. Anyway, so why would you talk about pardoning Trump? Uh, you don't talk about pardoning innocent people. So what he's really saying is Trump is guilty. So what I'm curious about is who is who is paying him to say that Trump is guilty and needs to be pardoned. Like I say, you only pardon guilty people. Now Trump is talking about pardoning. Uh, the January 6th folks simply because they've been wrongly convicted and wrongly put in jail. So what they do, shouldn't do is pardon them. What they really should do is, is free them and drop the charges. But he can't do that until he's president. What you want to do is prosecute all the people that have illegally prosecuted him, and that would include the judges, uh, for misconduct, judicial misconduct, for not allowing evidence, for, for allowing the state, uh, the, the federal government to suppress press evidence, for not going to a change of venue. And the states are at fault, too, for not taking their people out. You know, Governor DeSantis of Florida should show up at the D.C. Gulag and say, I'm demanding my Florida citizens back. This is a completely unfair political prison. You cannot hold them. You have not given them a fair trial. You violated their constitutional rights, and we're taking them home. And he should show up with the National Guard. Wouldn't that be fun? I would if I were governor. But uh, I'm not, <laughs> so I can't, but I would. Anyway, 
This is really strange. So Victor Vivek Ramaswamy, this is an article in Mediaite, M-E-D-I-A-I-T-E, uh, June 13th, uh, by Jamie Frevelli. Frevelli must be Italian. Anyway, so Vivek Ramaswamy, I've never heard of him before, uh, says if Trump is found guilty of the federal charges against him, uh, okay, so why wouldn't you challenge the federal charges? Because the federal charges are bogus. He's not doing that. He's saying if Trump is found guilty of bogus charges, which they are, that he'll pardon Trump of a crime that he didn't commit because the charges themselves are bogus. So now that's fascinating to me. Anybody else has picked up on this? Who's funding this guy? I think it's a, I think it's a plant. I think he's, he's doing this because every time he talks about pardoning Trump, the assumption is that Trump is guilty of something. I mean, that's, this, is, this is psychology 101. This is, uh, you know, sci, this is a psyop, all right? I think this guy is part of a psyop. I think it'll be found out later. This guy is a Democrat plant in the Republican Party. He's well-funded, too. He's talking about uh, whoever won't sign the pledge should be prepared to explain why they won't pardon twice impeached, twice indicted former president. So there you go. More guilt, right? They're just piling on the guilt. He must be guilty. Otherwise, why would we, you know, and all these people, they're saying that they won't pardon him. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a comparable example, and I can't think of one. As to doing something that's already absurd. <laughs> You know, this is absurd. All right, let's get on to the bill. Let's get on to uh, the main topic of our conversation today, which is Section 230, eliminating censorship from big tech. Uh, and this is the second version of my bill. So the bill, the second version was written July 19th, which is today, 2021. And so let me just give you the rationale. Um, well, I know, how do I want to approach this? Let me think. Maybe I should just tell you what's going on. So the internet, <laughs> Back in the beginning, there was the Internet, and the Internet was, I guess, wide open. It, was a, it originally started as a military um, thing from uh, our, our, uh, our nuclear missile places to talk to each other. So somewhere along the way, um, not to Al Gore, but someone in the Defense Department you know, or people created this system where the computers could talk to each other. And it was done so that we could wage a nuclear war, and the, the, the original place, NORAD, you know, Crystal Palace, Cheyenne Mountain. Everybody knows where it is, right? <laughs> We've all seen war games with Matthew, Matthew Broderick and Ellie Sheedy. Anyway, so we know where this place is, and it's got big doors and the whole bit. Well, they had to be able to talk to computers securely without being interfered with, and so they created an internet, and then from then people thought, hmm, maybe we should all do this, and then we got email, and you know, all this other kind of stuff. So that's the internet. So the internet divided into this, this um, group of what they call interactive uh, computer services. So, so normally a computer is just you personally looking things up or talking to other people or emailing, whatever you want to do. That's personal. That's, uh, I, that, I guess you could call it interactive, but it's not being provided by anybody. So interactive computer services require a provider and a user. And so the provider is Google <laughs> you know, and all the other uh, search engines that associate with Google uh, is the first part of interactive computer services. The second part is social media. Social media provided by Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, all those other folks, True Social, uh, Getter, you know, all these other different people. But what it really comes down to is the, 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 the ones that are all owned by the same company, Meta, <laughs> you know, Facebook, Instagram, oh, I guess Twitter is owned by Elon Musk. And so people thought that Twitter uh, being bought by Elon Musk would suddenly be this bastion of free speech. Well, I'm just as censored on Twitter as I always was. You know, I've been on, five years I've been on Twitter. I have 84 followers. Uh, three years ago, uh, I, I've forgotten how many thousand I had, you know, but it, went, it dropped. 
to like 80. <laughs> and so they, they let me add one per year. Uh, and so it's fascinating. So I know but I still keep posting my shows, except this time because it wouldn't let me post, uh, which happens periodically. And Facebook, I don't post my show anymore because they've deleted my picture. They don't let me post any, any photographs. So there's no visual way to attract people to it, which is the whole point. So I'm censored on Facebook completely. You know, I, I don't even know if I'm in the news feed unless I do a funny meme. That, that, that gets a lot of response. But for the most part, my stories, things that I talk about, uh, the really meaningful stuff on, on my account, nope, nobody sees it. So that's gone too. So how do we do this? Word of mouth, you people, you know, sharing the show. Uh, a couple of shows have gone gangbusters. The one with Brian Artis uh, last week and, uh, and the one with uh, um, Judy Mikovits, you know, recently too. Uh, no, it was, uh, it was Judy and uh, Tony Lyons, the publisher, publisher of Skyhorse Books. And I got another book I want to write too, so I'm already talking about that. And I got a literary agent. So Judy's uh, literary agent, uh, Johanna, was on the show too. And so life is good. So I'm getting ready to write another book. This is fun. Which of probably censored, just like my uh, – well, my last one wasn't censored, but it didn't get a whole lot of uh, uh, media play because it was on flight instruction. It's not like a really sexy topic. Uh, but it's controversial, as is everything I write. And so uh, my, my book was suppressed by AOPA, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. Uh, the FAA probably didn't think too much of it either because I criticized them. Most of the big flights, flight schools, which I said were ripping people off and charging excessively for flying lessons, I don't think they thought too much of it either. But they saw fit to steal my ideas since they wrote it and you know, public, had it published in 1994. So coming up on the 30th anniversary next year of my book that everybody, has, everybody hates but has stolen all the ideas from. Pretty typical, right? So let's go back to the Internet. So, so interactive computer services, in other words, social media and search engines, are divided into providers and users. So providers we've been over, Google, DuckDuckGo, um, all the, the different search engines, but basically Google. <laughs> okay. uh, and, the, and the social media we've gone over too, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, and then a few of the, the conservative ones that really don't have much of a following compared to, you know, Facebook and those other ones. So that's it. So the providers, the people that provide that stuff, the users are us. And so in absolute stupidity and complete violation of the Constitution, Congress made a law to protect the providers and basically screw over the users. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what happened. So let me read you the, uh, the, the it's, it's Title 42, Section, uh, let me give you the, the exact problem. Title 42, Section 230. Yeah, it, it actually didn't put it in there. I think it's Title 42. It should be in there somewhere. Oh, nope, Title 37. Here we go. So the current law, this is actually law, and I've been over this before, but it's, 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 it's staggering in, in, in how, how monumentally stupid and dangerous it is. Well, maybe it's not, maybe they didn't do it stupidly, but that's the result. So Title 47 of the U.S. Code, Section 230, says in Part C, protection for, quote, good Samaritan blocking and screening of offensive material. Think about this. Do you think of, um, I don't know, Facebook and Twitter and, and uh, all those different Instagram as good Samaritans? No. Good Samaritans are people that pull over and, and give CPR to people on the roadside who've been in a massive accident. That's a good Samaritan. Okay. You know, people who are in business of providing uh, interactive computer services are not good Samaritans. They're business people. But it says protection for good Samaritan blocking and screening of offensive material. Well, one question by why are they blocking and screening offensive material anyway? If you think it's offensive, you don't look at it. Okay? And your kids shouldn't have access to it anyway because as parents, you're supposed to protect them. So they shouldn't have to block screening, uh, block or screen offensive materials. They're in their damn business. Right? 
Anyway, it's a treatment of publisher or speaker. So this is no provider. That would be Google and Facebook as our two primary examples, for example. Uh, no provider or user, that's us, of interactive computer services shall be treated as a publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. Okay, so the fact they put user in there is irrelevant because this doesn't relate to users. This only relates to providers. Okay, so let's, let's take up the user part because users are, aren't publishers anyway. They're users. So, so let me just read it properly. No provider of an interactive computer service, in other words, Google and Facebook, social media and search engines, shall be treated as a publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. Okay, so an information content provider would be the users, okay, uh, or the search engines. All right, so anyway, so what the – let me just make sure I make, I'm seeing that correctly. Um, anyway, so, so in other words, these people aren't publishers or speakers. So in other words, they provide the platform. So let me explain the difference. The Washington Post is a publisher. They publish stories. They have editorials. They have op-eds, which are the opposite page of the editorials. They publish a point of view. They publish articles that have, you know, news, alleged facts, and they, they do all kinds of things. So the Washington Post is a publisher. As such, they are liable for what they publish because they have complete editorial content control. It's their paper. If they don't want something in the Washington Post, it doesn't go there, <laughs> even if it's true, which in many cases it is. So that's it. So they're a publisher. So because they're a publisher, they can control the content because they're liable for the content if they screw up. If they publish something that's libelous or completely untrue, they're, they're liable for it. You know, if they say Nancy Pelosi sleeps with fuzzy blue teddy bears, my favorite example, uh, and she doesn't, of course, we don't know <laughs> for sure, right? See, see how I plant thoughts in your head? So, so the Washington Post has a banner headline, Nancy Pelosi sleeps with fuzzy blue teddy bears, okay? If she doesn't, you know, they can, they can, uh, she can sue them for millions of dollars. How dare you impugn my reputation saying I sleep with Smurfs, <laughs> you know? So, so, and she'd be right to do so, and I would support her in that action because the Washington Post can't just make stuff up. Uh, in the same way, they can't just make stuff up either, like saying the election wasn't stolen when we know it was. So that's just made up stuff. But anyway, so they're publishers. So they are not, um, they are liable for what they say. Now, internet providers don't say the stuff on social media. The users do. You know, and a search engine may provide information, but they don't use that information. The users do. So in other words, if you find online uh, how to make an atomic bomb, like, let me look it up right now. I haven't done that, actually. Let's, 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 do, a, let's do a search on my, uh, my DuckDuckGo, how to make an atomic bomb. <laughs> how to make your own atomic bomb. Now, if I actually end up making one, would uh, DuckDuckGo be liable for that? Nope. How to make an atomic bomb. How do you build, make a nuclear bomb? Science, <laughs> the Guardian. How to make an atom bomb? Easy to make bomb. YouTube. <laughs> how, to, how to make paper atom bomb? I don't want paper. I want a real one. Here, how to make a nuclear bomb? Atomic theory explained. Okay, so this is lessons. So here we go. How to build your own nuclear bomb. <laughs> Another YouTube one. <laughs> this is great. How to make an atomic bomb in your own kitchen. Well, practically. <laughs> this is funny. How to make an atomic bomb. Uh, and this is just, so there's a bunch of So there's a lot of websites uh, that tell you how to make an atomic bomb. Okay. Now, should you? No. You know, this is for your entertainment and education, right? But the point is, they can publish that. Anybody can publish how to make an atomic bomb because they're not responsible for anybody that actually makes an atomic bomb. The person that made it is, <laughs> okay? So that's how that works. 
that information is protected, actually. It's, uh, it's protected as free speech, but not according to Title 47, Section 230. Oh, no. Because they have permission from Congress to violate First Amendment rights and block uh, the, uh, the screening, uh, a block and screen what they consider offensive material. So the question is, what do they consider offensive material? So the first part is actually good, where it says no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as a publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. So in other words, you're not responsible for things that other people say. Facebook is not responsible for anything posted on Facebook. Twitter is not responsible for anything posted on Twitter. Instagram is not responsible for anything posted on Instagram. The person that posted is. So if the person that posted commits libel, posts pornography, posts obscenity, posts how to make a nuclear bomb with details and where to plant it, they're responsible for that. Not the people that post it. So, but here's, here's the catch. Congress said that they give, they give this, is, this, is a, this is a double whammy. This Section 230 is a booby trap because it said that they are not responsible. They are not liable for anything post or any use of information on search engines. They're not liable. So they got a get-out-of-jail-free card. They cannot be sued. They cannot be touched for anything that anybody posts or any information used. However, they were given the ability to take off from social media or search engines, anything they want. So they can take off stuff that they're not liable for. That's the problem. In essence, that's it. They can remove anything, anything they want and there's, uh, you know, of information that they are not liable for. Well, why would they have that power? That's just stupid. And this is where Congress, you know, basically effed up. <laughs> Congress screwed up here. Unless, of course, as I suspect, the lobbyists from Big Tech bought this, this section. Here's where the problems are. All right, it looks like uh, Marco is, but I get, I can't always check live chat as I'm doing stuff. Don't know the story about the teenager that uh, built his own nuclear reactor. No, I don't know about that one. That sounds interesting. Oh, we got a story here. So I have, I have another, uh, another, Marco sent me another link that I got to copy and, and, and paste onto my stuff for checking later. I check it now, but I'm doing a show. Well, maybe I can check it in a bit. We'll see. Let me post it up here. Because you never know when this stuff's going to come in handy, right? <laughs> anyway, so that's, that's the problem. So Congress said, and rightly so, to search engines and social media, you are not liable for anything that anybody posts on there. So they should have stopped right there. If they just stopped with Section C1, no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as a publisher uh, or, or a speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. If they just stopped there, they would have been okay, but they didn't. They screwed up. They added Section 2, civil liability. No provider or user, still back in the provider. They, they keep saying user, but it's really not. No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be held liable on account of, and this is under the Good Samaritan. And others are assuming these are Good Samaritans, that, that Facebook and Google and, and Twitter and Instagram, they do this out of the goodness of their heart because they're Good Samaritans. They are here to provide information for you. Yeah. Not that they make billions of dollars in marketing and totally screw up elections and everything else that they do and, uh, you know, got a million people killed because they wouldn't provide treatment information on early treatments to COVID. No, no. That's, you know, where they should be held liable for those things. No, they're good Samaritans. And so Congress said, if you can believe this, any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access to or availability of material, that provider, the provider or user, but it's really the provider, 
consider because because if a user wants to remove content, they can. You don't need a law to allow a user to remove stuff they post. That's just absurd. So they keep saying user, but they really mean provider. Google, Facebook, at all. So it says availability of material the provider considers to be obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or and here are the keywords. Are you ready? Otherwise objectionable. Whether or not such material is constitutionally protected. Wait a minute. Congress gave big tech the ability to remove material in good faith because they are good Samaritans that is constitutionally protected. They can't do that. Congress cannot waive the Constitution for private industry or anybody for that matter. They can't waive the Constitution. They can amend it with three quarters of the states. But they cannot, they cannot remove constitutional free speech protections by statute because statutes are under the Constitution. Constitution is the supreme law of the land where the states have delegated authority to the United States. In other words, the federal government. Constitution is the supreme law of the land. The states have delegated uh, the ability of, through the 14th Amendment, that says that the Bill of Rights applies to states and local governments as well. The states agreed to that. When they ratified it, okay, cool. <laughs> so Constitution applies to the federal government, of course. Um, and, then into, and then the 14th Amendment after, after the Civil War, 1865, said, well, you know what? We're going to apply this to the states and local governments as well because a right is a right. Why should you have a right under the federal government but not under the states? That doesn't make any sense. These rights either exist or they don't. And, of course, we know right absolute because any infringement on a right makes it a government privilege. Still working on getting Alan Dershowitz on the show. Oh, are we going to have a chat? <laughs> Poor man has no idea what's coming. <laughs> but I'll be nice. It's going to be fun. Going to be fun. Looks like Marco's taking a break here for a minute. Hey, come on back, Marco. I like having you on there. Anybody else want to join the live chat? It's at the bottom of the broadcast page. But you've got to listen live. Anybody wants to call me uh, on the Skype line? You know, check in a day ahead of time. You know, call the Skype line. Register. And uh, I'll take a look at your account and send me a message and what you want to talk about. And if I approve it, then you can call the show from anywhere in the world. It's kind of cool, actually, right? This, let's get back to this horrible section. Any action voluntarily taken in good faith. So how do you prove that? How do you prove any action taken in good faith? You can't. Because all big tech has to say is, we did that in good faith. Get out of jail free card. No liability. Can't be sued. Because Congress said, if they act in good faith, that is meaningless. <laughs> that is absolutely meaningless. That is the get-out-of-jail-free card. Because, of course, they're going to say they acted in good faith. Because they're good Samaritans. They're here to rescue us, you know, from ourselves. Because they can remove material that they consider. This is the key part. It says, any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access to or avail availability of material that the provider or user, that the provider considers obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable. Well, what if they consider conservative viewpoints obscene? What if they consider the, uh, the fact that the 2020 election was stolen as harassing? What if they think um, that uh, showing you know, where the government killed the people in Waco is excessively violent? What if they think of, uh, I don't know, 
you name it. That uh, the the uh, I'm trying to think of a good filthy example. Uh, what would be filthy? What would, what would what would big tech think was was filthy? I don't know. Um, you know uh, the actual conditions of the war in Ukraine. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I mean, just pulling things out of nowhere. Lewd. What would be lewd? I don't know. Joe Biden sniffing the hair of a five year old. That'd be that'd be lewd. It's also disgusting. It's probably obscene. Um, could they remove that? Sure. But if it was on a conservative site, they might ban the site. So you can't show that. You can't show Biden sniffing the hair of a five-year-old. Why not? If you did it, <laughs> of course you can. All right. But they can remove all that stuff. They can remove. They can think of anything that conservatives might say and remove it. You know, if uh, if I said uh, gun control uh, is is patently unconstitutional because gun control are our statutory law and the Second Amendment is supreme overall statutory law. Therefore, the Second Amendment that says you can't touch the right of people to own and carry firearms makes all gun control unconstitutional. What they said, well, that's false information. You can't say that. That's fake information. The Supreme Court has ruled that there are reasonable restrictions and compelling state interests and all other crap. It's a bunch of nonsense. So they could, they, in fact, they can and do overrule me constantly. That's why I had a lawsuit prepared uh, all set to go before I... Uh, one time I regret I'm not a lawyer. I would have fired, filed my own lawsuits and a bunch of them. <laughs> i got to find some other lawyer to do it, and so far no one's taken it up. they got their own lawsuits. I'm, I'm party to the Robert Francis Kennedy lawsuit. At least I hope so. I'm supposed to be. We'll find out. So here are the dangerous words, and, and let's, get to, uh, let's get to the two most dangerous words in this, otherwise objectionable. Otherwise objectionable. Big tech can remove anything that they find big tech object to. I don't know, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, the fact that it cures people, remdesivir ventilators kill people. You can't say that. That's objectionable. Why? Because it goes against making, them, making all the money from uh, big pharma because they're invested heavily in big pharma. So big tech doesn't let you say that. They don't let you say that the election was stolen, even though we know the election was stolen. Can't say that. They find that objectionable. So in other words, what do they find objectionable? Anything that's not leftist, Marxist, LGBTQ, um, Islamic, you know, promotion, anything that the ultra left, and for some reason, big tech is ultra left. I don't know why big tech is ultra left. I can't quite figure that out being, being, you know, most businesses are generally more conservative because they like making a profit. And these people must be making so much profit. There's something that happens to people when they get so rich, they, they consider themselves godlike and they start, um, you know, just, just decreeing rules and laws. But those are the dangerous parts, otherwise objectionable. And then it says whether or not such material is constitutionally protected. They, Congress cannot delegate the authority to big tech to remove constitutionally protected free speech material. They can't do that. So this section is unconstitutional. Now, it's been unconstitutional since, since it was first you know, passed and enacted back in 1996. Clinton administration. Oh, gee, what a surprise. Second term of Clinton. So this is a Clinton administration bill. Clinton, bill Clinton signed this. It was done in 1996. So he, he approves of this. He approves of, and Congress approved of, big tech censoring conservatives, because that's exactly what happened, in violation of the Constitution. Oh, boy. <laughs> so there's our problem. So, that, that is, so now you know the problem. I got a solution, too. I got the solution right here. Yeah. Let me play some uh, stuff here. Let's take a little break. What is it? 735? 735. Break. 
and then I'll come back and I'll tell you the solution. So let me just uh, do quickly. Uh, yep, here we go. Back in a little bit. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elba Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. And we're looking for sponsors. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three-minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. 
And this is what happens when I try and text during my breaks. <laughs> trying to catch up on news. It's like, oh boy, we missed some stuff. So it's uh, you know, a couple seconds there of of, of air. <laughs> what are we gonna do? All right, let's uh, let's get back to news. solution. Um, and uh, this is, 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 is pitifully simple. I mean, it really is. And this is what I find so fascinating is that uh, Congress held hearings. They had uh, Facebook whistleblowers, which are really just Facebook employees. Um, they've uh, talked about antitrust. They've talked about uh, new regulations and, uh, you know, strictly coordinating, you know, what they do and, and, and having all kinds of laws, what they can and can't censor and all this other crap. It's a bunch of nonsense. They don't have to do it. And the reason you don't have to do is what I discovered as I was doing research for this bill is all these things that they're talking about, lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, is all covered by the obscenity laws. Okay. And since you don't have to make something illegal twice, (laughs) there's no reason to have something to give big tech permission to remove information that law enforcement can remove already. And so there was no reason to do this unless you wanted to set up a system whereby big tech could silence conservatives. That's really what this looks like. Since it was done during the Clinton administration in 1996, that's what I assume. I assume that Congress at that time uh, created a situation whereby they could, uh, with the help of big tech and billions of dollars of lobbying money and the campaigns and everything else, set up a situation where big tech could control information. Because that's what this is all about. If, uh, if they're calling big tech good Samaritans, if they say they, act, they can act in good faith, which means anything they want, if they can remove anything from, from uh, social media or, or search engines that they consider uh, otherwise objectionable, if they can completely arrange the results uh, of search engine stuff any way they want to put all the Marxist stuff first and the conservative stuff in the back, maybe, you know, four pages later, so no one ever sees it, um, there's no better than, than this, this clause here, Title 47, Section 230, Section C2, a, any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access to or availability of material that the provider or user <laughs> considers to be obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable, whether or not such material is constitutionally protected. What do you mean whether or not? <laughs> that makes a big difference. Anyway, so what are the obscenity laws? 18 code, uh, section 18 U.S. code, section 1466A, Oh, that's that's actually uh, more technical. That's uh, that's obscene visual representations of sexual abuse for children. In other words, that's child porn. So let's get the general provision. Is 18 U.S. Code, Chapter 71, obscenity. There is an entire federal code title. 18 U.S. Code, Chapter 70. Excuse me. There's an entire chapter in federal law dedicated to obscenity. Okay. So why do you need big tech to do it? You don't. Any, any federal law enforcement uh, entity agency can remove this. Also, the states can, and the local law enforcement can. You don't think law, local law enforcement can arrest somebody that's posting child porn? Of course they can. They can have that stuff removed. Big tech doesn't have to do it. Anyway, we've got Section 1460, possession with intent to sell, trade obscene material on federal property, 1461, mailing obscene material, 1462, importation or transportation of obscene material, 
you know, I'm, yeah, I'm getting, there's like 12 sections here. And that doesn't even call, you know, include pornography. That's a whole other section of law. So this is already well covered. You don't need to have big tech doing anything to remove material. In other words, uh, well, Mike Huckabee explained it best when he said that uh, uh, big tech's like the phone company. You know, if you, back, you know, Ma Bell, AT&T, we have phone lines, right? If, if you committed a crime, if you committed libel or slanderous stuff, saying something really silly, like, you know, Nancy Pelosi sleeps with fuzzy blue teddy bears, and you made that a claim, said, this is really true. Now, I know it's not true. I'm using it as an absurd example. But uh, if you said that, you'd be liable for that. But not, not, the phone company wouldn't be liable. If you told all your friends, hey, guess what? <laughs> Nancy Pelosi sleeps with fuzzy blue teddy bears, okay? Uh, the phone company doesn't care because you can say whatever you want on the phone lines. They're not responsible. They're insulated from you. They're just providing you a service. They rent you the phone and they uh, set up the phone lines and the switchboards and the operators and they just provide the service. That's all they're doing. So they're not liable. If you threaten a public official online, they're not liable. Okay. In the same way here, if you put anything online that's obscene uh, or, or horrible or disgusting or illegal, especially child porn, social media is not liable for that. You know, because they're not publishers. <laughs> they didn't publish it. Right? You did. So they shouldn't have the ability to remove it. And the whole point of this is because I had a lot of objections when I first published this bill. And they said, you, you can't have child porn on there. You can't have all this stuff on there. I'm saying, no, of course you can't. But it's not up to big tech to remove it. It's up to law enforcement to remove it. Okay? Because if you let big tech make the decisions of what is good information and bad information, what is fair information and unfair, what is true and untrue, what is desirable or undesirable. You know, that's what it gets to. What is in their interest and what is not in their interest. And that's really what it comes down to. Congress gave big tech the ability to remove material that they didn't think was in their interest. That they can't do. So what's the solution? Well, gee, <laughs> I just happen to have one here. <laughs> in fact, I have had it for two years. That's why this is the anniversary of this bill. So these are our proposed amendments. Section 230 would now read. Section or Title 47, hang on, let me just get the whole thing here. Title 47, Section 230, Subpart C would read, Protection for Users from Providers and Civil Liability Protection for Providers, Interactive Computer Services. This is, this is a new title, Protection for Users from Providers. This is key. And Civil Liability Protection for Providers of Interactive Computer Services. One, Treatment of Publisher or Speaker. So this one's actually pretty much the same. No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as a publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. So that's pretty much the same. So I kept the first set part, part one. Part two, I've changed completely. Part two, civil liability. Here's the new part. The new part A, no provider of interactive computer services shall be liable for any action, interaction. I just say, I don't even say users because they're, they're not involved. I just say providers. Provider, no provider of interactive computer services shall be liable for any action, interaction, anything post, any content, or any communications from or by any user of interactive computer services. So that is an ironclad, that is an ironclad immunity guarantee. Let me read that again. This is key. No provider of interactive computer services, that is search engines and social media, shall be liable for any action, interaction, anything post, any content, or any communications, in other words, messages, from or by any user of interactive computer services. So this is like the separation of church and state, except that doesn't exist. This one does. This is the separation of users and providers. The provider is merely providing the service. 
They are providing social media and they are providing um, search engines. Okay, that's it. That's all they're doing. They are not liable for what you do search results. They are not liable for what you post. Therefore, if you post something illegal, that's on you. But because they're not liable, <laughs> they can't touch anything you post. All right. And here's, here's the key sentence. So this is Title 47, Section 230, C, uh, C2B, <laughs> if you want the full citation. Any contact, infringement, interaction, limitation, interference, or any other touching in any way, no matter how minuscule, by any provider of interactive computer services with any of the following shall void and revoke all civil liability immunity from that provider. So this is what makes it conditional. Let me do that again. Any contact, this is from provider to user, any contact, infringement, interaction, limitation, interference, or any other touching in any way, no matter how minuscule, by any provider of interactive computer services with any of the following shall void and revoke all civil liability immunity from that provider. So in other words, they are completely immune in part A unless they touch what you do in part B. And then it says, shall be, this is what shall void and revoke all civil liability immunity from that provider. Any and all content posts and any communications made on social media, any account or any account status on social media, any change or arrangement of search engine results beyond the actual raw untouched number of hits. That's it. So let me say the whole thing again. It's a little confusing, but it's, it's a bit legal easy. That's why I did it. You know, this is why uh, you know, I try to be complete so this thing can get through you know, Congress. So what I said was, any contact, infringement, interaction, in limitation, interference, or any of the touching in any way, no matter how minuscule, by any provider of interactive computer services with any of the following shall void and revoke all civil liability immunity from that provider, any and all content post, and any communications made on social media, any account or any account status on social media, any change or arrangement of search engine results beyond the actual raw untouched number of hits. So in other words, if they touch in any way anything you post, any communications you make, any aspect of your account, or use any kind of algorithm or anything to do anything with the search results beyond the raw number of hits, doing so voids their liability immunity. Got that? It voids it. So this is why this is so much better than everything else that everybody else has done. Because everybody else has rules, restrictions, limitations, possible penalties, things like that. We don't need to do that. Okay? You don't need to establish fines and establish jail terms and things like that. All you do is take away their immunity. Okay, because once their immunity is gone, they can be sued, and they can be sued for billions of dollars. Now, why the, uh, um, why the, the National Trial Lawyers Association has picked up on this, I don't know. I've certainly told them enough times. Why uh, folks like Steve Kirsch, who held that uh, big seminar in Atlanta a couple of months ago on uh, COVID litigation, you know, not only did he not pick up on this bill, he didn't pick up on uh, our vaccine liability bill. These two kind of go hand in hand. Why they haven't picked up on this, I have no idea. It makes no sense to me. This is so simple. What it says is anything that the user does, the provider is not responsible for. They're completely immune. However, if the provider touches anything a user does, they lose their immunity. <laughs> what could be more simple than that? That's it. It's four lines. 
the providers are immune from liability of anything the users do. However, if they touch anything the users do, their accounts or search engine results, that liability immunity is gone. I mean, what's so hard to understand about that? That's it. That's the bill. Now, I've been pushing this bill for over two years. It's going nowhere. Why? Because it's so simple, so straightforward. I don't know who's seen it. I don't know what government people have uh, actually read this and taken a look. I don't know what if it's been in the halls of big tech or maybe they've never seen it. I don't know. All I know is it's not law yet, and it should be, because this is the answer. It is that simple. Oh, you might want to check the endorsements. Who's endorsed this? Uh, are you ready? First endorsement, Dr. Vladimir Zelenko. When he was still alive, he endorsed this bill. Okay. Dr. Judy Mikovits, greatest friend of the show we could have. Uh, Chief Jerome Bell, former candidate for Congress, endorsed this bill. Dr. Deborah Viglione, our local doctor around here who does all the medical freedom things. John Cullen, data expert. He's the guy that set up the COVID map for Johns Hopkins University. He endorsed this bill. So I've got some pretty heavy people that have actually taken a look at it and know exactly what's going on here. <sighs> I think that's all I can say on that. <laughs> There's... Um, there's some arguments against this. Let me go back to a lawsuit that I wrote up a couple of years ago. Uh, Jonathan should be here in a few minutes. We'll get him in on this, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll get off my monologue. But uh, if you take a look at the, uh, the lawsuit, and I've, I've published an article on this. It's on my Substack. So gregpenglis.substack.com, you can find this article. So the lawsuit declared the Internet of Google, Facebook, social media censorship. And when I talk about it in the lawsuit, are some provisions that, uh, uh, that people have had uh, questions about. And one of the things they've had questions about is, uh, is the idea that these are private companies. And I said, well, well they're, in fact, Congress says this too. They're a private company. You know, they're offering a service. You, you don't have to take the service. You know, you can, uh, you know, you can just uh, go ahead and, um, you know, just, just don't take it. Well, the problem is if you have a business, you know, the, in order to promote your business, social media, as most businesses are promoted, you know, if you can't promote your business, then another business has, a, has an advantage over you. So all the liberal news sites and, and radio programs and podcasts have a huge advantage over the conservative ones because they get published on social media and the conservative ones don't. Well, that's an illegal strain of trade. You can't do that. So let me see if I can find a couple sections of law that really explain this here. Um, I've got a couple things here. One, the lawsuit. The lawsuit would read something like this. A lawsuit against Facebook, Google, social media for conspiracy to suppress the exercise and enjoyment um, of, of our First Amendment rights because of ideology of the right of freedom of speech, a free press, the ability to freely engage in interstate commerce, and free access to all information regarding voting candidates, uh, voting candidates in elections, and including in all cases reading, receiving, sharing, and posting all available information at the choice of the individual and not the choice of Google slash Facebook or other social media since they are immune to anything posted by any individual, which basically says what I've already talked about. Okay, it's a lawsuit saying that uh, we're suing them for, for basically blocking us from exercising our free speech rights because they're doing what they call, act, you know, they become a state actor. In other words, the government can't restrict your free speech because that's a First Amendment violation. So if the government says that someone else can do it, as they did in Section 230, and as they've actually, the FBI has worked with these social media places to suppress conservatives, they can't do that either. So if the government can't do it, then they can't inspire somebody else to do it or pay them to do it. That's illegal too. In other words, if you can't rob a bank, you can't pay someone else to rob a bank, and then it's okay. <laughs> Same thing. You know, or, you know, anyway. Um, all right, so, so free speech. 
Free speech is, is from my lawsuit. Free speech is being violated because Facebook, Google decides what people can read and what they can't. Overwhelming evidence has proven this to be ideologically based and biased against conservatives, constitutionalists, conservative journalists and reporters, Christians, libertarians, independents, white males, and anyone posting anything that Facebook, Google wants to censor. To do this, they hide behind excuses like algorithms and community standards and other bogus criteria when their real goal is to complete is complete manipulation of public opinion through removal of opposing views and allegedly throwing the 2020 election to the Democrats. I wrote this in 2019. <laughs> okay, I knew they were going to throw the election and use uh, big tech media to do it. This is written October 28th of 2020. No, actually, no. Wait a minute. Um, no, this isn't. This is 2020. This is a year before my. Um, no, this is original. Oh, hang on. Article was originally published 10/7/19, so it was written in 2019. So this is a year before the 2020 election. I'm already saying that uh, uh, that big tech's going to be used to throw the election. Pretty obvious to me at that time. So here's another one, too. Another claim I make is that free press is being violated because the press today, the device to publicly disseminate information akin to the printing press of old, is the Internet. Therefore, any restriction on any information intended to be sent or intended to be received over the Internet is a violation of a free press. You get it? So the press, not the printing press, the manual printing press, but the Internet is the free press of today. Technology changes, but rights don't. I said the ability to freely engage in interstate commerce is violated whenever anyone uses Facebook, Google for any purpose in furtherance of a business, and that business or any information sought or distributed from that business is censored or restricted by Facebook, Google, in methods described above. And that's what they're doing to me. Okay. Says in my own personal case, Facebook says I posted fake news. Oh, this is a fun one, right? So I posted fake news that the sun does not drive climate change, as reported that it does by the director of the astrophysics department of Technion University in Israel, saying that my fact check, uh, it's actually CO2 driving the climate, which is absolute nonsense. And for that quote violation, my page, Action Radio is Greg Penglis, and my 12 special groups, I only had 12 then, I got like 25 now, uh, are restricted to less than 1% of their former number of views and engagements. Yep, that's happening. So, so I'm, I'm being restricted to less than 1% of, of my former audience. Right? It says, this for a media business driven by listener numbers is a direct theft of my income and destruction of my business, to which I would seek personal damages on top of the charge uh, change in their operating procedure remedy uh, described above. So, yeah, so I have been personally victimized by big tech and unable to pursue my business, which is, you know, a citizen legislature over a radio show. Um, and they have violated that and cost me thousands of dollars, millions of dollars. Who knows? Thousands of listeners, millions of listeners. Who knows? I don't know because I'm being suppressed. You, you can't tell the listeners you don't have. Right? Part number three, jurisdiction. I know the Constitution is a prohibition on government from touching the right of free speech, a free press for regulating interstate commerce and open voter information so that I'm not suing only, the, you know, I'm not, uh, so I'm not suing using, using only the Constitution or other laws mentioned. Rather, we use the federal civil rights laws because they only need a conspiracy of two or more persons to suppress any rights to be brought into play. Here are the relevant edited laws and sections to that case. So I'm doing here what, I'm, what this lawsuit said in 2019. What I'm saying that nobody else is saying is that it is a civil rights violation. And one of the things we're going to be doing is, is uh, writing a bill, I've been threatening this for a long time, um, to make conservatives or, or to make actually ideology 
uh, protected civil rights. So your ideology should be just as protected as your skin color, as your national origin, as anything else. Or you can change your ideology. Yeah, but you shouldn't have to. So in other words, you should not be discriminated against simply because you're conservative. Looks like Pianki's online wants to get in on this conversation here. Hey, Pianki, how are you doing this week? Well, I hope that Bill makes it to his final destination because it's needed. And, you know, taking down uh, people's content based on their own ideology, and then you got people complaining because folks want to take down the pride symbols, literature, posters, and that. But the same people that want to put up that pride information were the same people that wanted to take down the statues of American soldiers. Mm-hmm. Well, it's same manipulation thing. of information. What, what they want to do is legally, uh, they want the power and authority to only have the information out there that they want. So they want to suppress the information they don't want, and they want to push the information they do want. Well, that's unconstitutional. They can't do that. There's no power to do that. And government cannot let them do that. And the same people that want to put up their flags and pride information all on your property mm-hmm. is the same people that want to come out and restrict your right to the weapon of your choice, as many as you want, and the type, mm-hmm. once again. Yeah. See, no one should be, let's talk about it. We've talked about the, the, the gun issue pretty pretty heavily, but let's talk about this thing that you're saying that people are forced to put uh, gay pride posters on their property. That's illegal. You can't be forced. It's your property. You cannot be forced to, you know, the, 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 the freedom of speech implies that you're just as free to say speech and you're just as free to not say speech or, or not, not be subjected to it if you don't want to personally. They can't put pride flags on your, gay pride flags on your property. Absolutely. When you try to take yeah. it down, they want to attack you physically. Yeah, see, that's, that's assault then. That, that's a violent assault. But, you know, part of free speech is that you don't have to listen. So if someone doesn't want to listen to my show, I can't make them legally. I can't say you have to listen to my show. This show is so good. If you don't listen to this information, you know, it's, uh, you're, you're, you know, whatever. You're required to listen to this. You're, uh, um, I don't know. You're a megaphobe. There we go. You're a megaphobe. If you don't listen to Action Radio, you're a megaphobe. I'm going to make you listen. Yeah. I wouldn't and do that. That'd be that'd be silly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't the Constitution give you a right to associate and mm-hmm. also disassociate with whomever? I don't think it's specifically that. That'd be a good Jonathan question. Uh, in fact, we actually that's in our Australian Bill of Rights that you not only have the freedom to associate, but you have the freedom to not associate with anybody that you want. So this idea that uh, the left wants to force you to associate with people or to force you to accept the LGBTQ radical agenda. You know, it's interesting. And I've been trying to reach Brandon Straka again because Brandon Straka has a conservative gay uh, workshop town hall coming up on the 24th. And I can't get a hold of him because he's like, busy. you know, he's huge right now, you know, politically. But yeah, it does. It's what, it, uh-huh. what it's called is de facto. And what you just got describing is the jury. When governments try to force you into an integrated environment, integrated situation, and mm-hmm. you, by uses of your feet, say, no, I'm going this way. Mm-hmm. But then you see the same thing going on with the Supreme Court saying that you got to create black voting districts. That's wrong. That's, of course it's wrong. People... You're trying to force people to be part of something that they otherwise would not choose or want to be a part of 
That's mm-hmm. why they are where they are at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. The difference is, the critical difference is, uh, for some of these things, is whether you're open to the public. And in fact, Jonathan's here, so I'm going to bring him on right now. But the whole idea of public accommodation. So a lot of people say, and I want your reaction to this, I'm going to get Jonathan's. Uh, a lot of people talk about uh, that your private companies, these, these Google, Facebook, they're private companies. They can do what they want. They don't have to let you on. You don't have to use them. I'm saying this is a bunch of nonsense. In fact, Jonathan knows my lawsuit well because he's, he's you know, read it a bunch of times. But the idea that these are, are, uh, are private companies and can do what they want, that's like saying that, uh, um, you know, like the, 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 the Christian bakery, you know, this is the, well, that's not, a good, that's not a good example. But in other words, what I'm saying is that um, they're not, they're open to the public. And if you're open to the public, you have to take all the public in. That'd be like saying a restaurant can't, uh, doesn't have to serve black people because they're a private restaurant. Well, that's a bunch of nonsense. If they're open to the public, of course they do. In the same way, well, yeah, you're social media is open seen, to the public. Go ahead. Yeah, I have seen all black proms that was held in a private venue. That's okay. And they didn't allow women. And I, yes, you're right. That is okay because that's mm-hmm. what they chose. They're not using public uh-huh. funded If you're open to the public, and I would include, you know, we used to talk about the, um, like the public highways. In other words, you couldn't if you're a hotel or a restaurant, and this is how the Supreme Court did the, they did the interstate commerce thing. In other words, you couldn't discriminate against black customers in the South during segregation because, you know, these, these restaurants and hotels are open to the public. So they have to serve the public. They can't discriminate because that would violate interstate commerce. That, you know, people have to be able to travel. You know, when they're traveling, they have to be able to go to hotels and gas stations and uh, restaurants. Because right? they're open to the public. They have to serve the public. They cannot discriminate because they're open to the public. On the other hand, the public cannot demand that somebody who doesn't offer a product suddenly make it. In other words, you can't demand sushi from a pizza place. That would be absurd. But that makes a really good example. In the same way, you can't demand from a baker that they make a gay wedding cake when they never make gay wedding cakes. But you can demand from social media that's open to the public that they're open to everybody. They can't discriminate unless you have private membership fees and private things like that, and they make a private network. Jonathan, how am I doing? All this make sense? Um, yeah, at the, the 40,000 foot level, <laughs> uh, of course, everything is, is a complicated mess. Um, you know, the, the, thing, the thing is, to be more technical, that the reason they can't discriminate um, is because Congress passed the law. So it's not about, you know, there's nothing inherently about saying that a private business is open to the public can't, um, you know, uh, can't discriminate against different customers. It, it's more about the fact that Congress passed a law to try to cure, you know, the, the discrimination um, which came forward against uh, black, although it could have been argued against other groups too, like we mentioned the Chinese in California last week and things like mm-hmm. that, but it, it came to focus uh, most prominently. So, um, you know, in, in theory, if you have a private business, you can do what you want with it, but then Congress stepped in and said, we're not going to allow private businesses to, um, to discriminate in, in these ways. And because they're open to the public, uh, making interstate commerce, 
the courts allow Congress to do that. So what's so what's the difference between the interstate highway and the information interstate highway? Isn't it the same thing? Isn't public accommodation required to the internet, considering how much the internet is required for business and travel and and social interactions and everything else that we do? It's just as important. The information highway is just as important as the interstate highway was, you know, back during segregation. I don't see any difference. Yeah, I mean, the only thing is, is I don't know if the laws that Congress passed. I mean, certainly, if if Facebook tried to say that. Um, I, I don't know. They won't, you know, they won't serve uh, Jews or something. Hmm. I think Mike Zuckerberg is. I think he may be Jewish, but, um, but, you know, I, I think that that would fall under the same law. Um, well, so do you know why Congress passed is, this? Yeah. Hmm? Do you know why Congress passed Section Two Thirty? You know, especially the, the, the first part makes sense that uh, providers, and I've already explained the first hour, the whole bill I've been over, everybody you know, knows what we're talking about here. Um, but the first section of, of Section 230 provides that uh, Internet providers are not publishers. So in other words, they're not in the Washington Post or Washington Times. They're not responsible for what people do who use it. That makes sense. I kept that part. But then they said that they can remove anything they find objectionable. And that makes no sense. And then it says whether it's constitutionally protected or not. So I want to go over this this uh, this horrible section, Title Forty Seven, Section Two Thirty C Two A is the ultimate site. Um, but do you know do you know the history of Section Two Thirty? Why uh, it came about? Because it came out in the Clinton administration in nineteen ninety six. What was the, what was the whole oh, idea? Oh, here? Only vaguely, but it was it okay. was again the part that you mentioned first <laughs> is the you know, is, is the, the justification for it. But, you know, a, as we've seen with um, Congress, who, you know, who are made up with a bunch of liars and thieves, um, <laughs> the, the reason, I mean, I had a boss who would, who, who would always ask, is this the reason or is this the excuse? <laughs> and um, so, you know, the excuse is never, is usually not the reason. And so what you talked about, the first thing, that they, that they um, are not responsible to be sued. And remember, there was this big, there was this big um, periodic spasms of trying to rein in uh, torts, you know, mm-hmm. tort, tort reform. Mm-hmm. And I remember that. There was also this, there was also, of course, this, um, this mythology that the Internet was going to be so wonderful, and it was in danger uh, of being being throttled in its crib by lawsuits right. and everything like that, mm-hmm. uh, which of course is never true. And uh, <clears throat> so, so there was this idea to do the first thing, which is to, which is not to not let it, you know companies be sued for every crazy thing that somebody says. Uh, but then, see, I understand that. That makes sense. Right. That makes perfect sense because, right. you know, it, but here's where the dichotomy comes in because they said, you know, and I agree with this completely. In fact, I kept that part saying that they are not publishers. They are not, you know, they are not responsible for what people post on social media because it's social media, not, you know, Facebook media, you know, uh, it's a totally different mm-hmm. thing. So because of that, but here's the problem though. They said that they're not liable, but still allowed them to remove information. See, the only way you could allow them to remove stuff 
as if they were publishers and they were liable for it. But because Congress said they're yeah. not liable for it, they could have stopped right there. They didn't yeah, have to is, add this extra part. So this is the part I'm it getting is, this it confused. It is self-contradictory. Yeah. This is the whole problem. Um, yeah, I mean, it would it, be like saying that um, – I mean, it would be, be like saying, you know, I, I think I've mentioned that when the Soviet Union was collapsing, mm-hmm. um, my bosses, who was Estonian, um, one of her mm. friends was talking on the telephone mm. and talking about the government. And the telephone operator broke into the conversation, yelled at mm. them um, for criticizing that government. And, you know, and, and disconnected the call. So it's not just some crazy hypothetical to say that, you know, what, 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 if, what if you're not allowed to say certain things over the phone? Would anybody think that's normal? But, you know, there are examples where this, this actually happened. That's interesting. So, yeah, and, um, you know, because obviously they were, you know, the KGB was listening to people's phone calls. So um, now the FBI is listening to our files. They're probably listening to my radio show. Right. Hey FBI, the so phone they, number is two one five three eight three three eight three two. Anyway, go ahead. The FBI, the FBI has been trained by the best. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The uh, um, so um, I mean, you don't think these, uh, you know, these international uh, um, what, what's the right word? Cooperation, you know, international cooperation meetings didn't accomplish anything. Um, anyway, so, um, so, so yeah, so, uh, so I think, uh, you know, it, it, it's complicated, but, but my point is where, where I was, where I was sort of, uh, meandering into that was, was that the purpose, it's like you said, the purpose of social media is to allow people to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, so not, not only every other problem that we have. But it's a fundamental violation of what social media is. Yeah, but nobody argues public accommodation except us. We're the ones that say that because they're open to the public, if they discriminate against conservatives, it's the same thing as, as a restaurant in segregation discriminating against black customers. We are customers. Right. They are open to the public. There's no membership. There's no qualification. You don't have to. Uh, it's like the Knights of Columbus. You know, you, have, you better be Italian or you're not getting in. And that's fine. It's a private organization. They can do that. Or as Pianchi pointed out, uh, black proms. No problem. Mm -hmm. Private association. But if you're open to the public, you have to be open to all the public. And it is just as discriminatory on ideology uh, as it is on race or sex or national origin or religion or any of those other things. In fact, I still have to write my bill uh, adding ideology is a protected class into the Civil Rights Act. But public accommodation, people forget that. They say these are private companies. They're not. Not if they're open to the public in the way that they are open. And the other thing is, is uh, search engines. You know, search mm-hmm. engines that have algorithms and arrange information and <laughs> information that way. So my bill also takes that into account, too. And they don't, uh, they well, don't the do that thing, in the original. Go ahead. Like I say, the, the, it's unfortunate these things are mm-hmm. not as cut and dried as um, we'd like them to be. But, you know, hmm. but for example, the idea of a public accommodation and the law, you know, what that evokes, not just the meaning of the term, but that whole controversy mm-hmm. um, has a lot to do with monopoly. I mean, you really, you, it, it's really, you really can't separate the, uh, the problem of monopoly from, um, from some of these issues. 
Uh, so, like, if you read one of the, the landmark cases uh, supporting congressional um, legislation of private businesses in terms of discrimination, it's one, one, of, the big, one of the biggest ones uh, was um, Heart, of, Heart of Atlanta a Motel versus somebody or other, I forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mentioned case. it before. If, yeah, we've well, talked about it. Yeah, I remember. I remember you talking about. It. I don't remember all the details, but I remember the case. Yeah. Well, but the point is, is that it, the reason from not only the circumstances that existed in what was it, like the 1960s, but they also reasoned to ancient um, ideas such as um, the innkeeper doctrine, going back to ancient England, mm-hmm. where you know, the innkeeper had uh, higher responsibilities than anybody else. So if you, you know, if you walked in and you wanted to buy flowers, you would, come, you would not come under the same rules as an innkeeper would come under. Mm-hmm. And they, they specifically, and of course, th- those laws developed out of practicality at the local level not out of a of a constitution. They didn't have many of the overarching ideas that we had. But but the, the idea was that um, that if you are traveling, I mean, if you are traveling from not one village to the next, but you know a day's travel across country from one inn to another inn in a different thing, and you uh, can't count on being treated fairly by being, having entrance to an inn and having a place to stay and, you know, inside the city walls and things like that, that the, the person, people would literally be subject to, you know, highway robbers. They couldn't just mm-hmm. like sleep out on the field mm-hmm. overnight. So the, you know, it, it was deeply rooted in what today we would call monopoly issues that, that if you didn't, if you didn't have rights, to be treated equally at the end, you know, you could literally die out in the, out in the, the wilderness um, by robbers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of hard to, and, and of course, today you go to most interstate exits and there's like a dozen motels there. Yeah. And, um, you know, back, back during the, back, back during the beginning of this, that wasn't necessarily true. It's like, you know, trying to find a, <clears throat> a motor in or something like that. Base motel. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. So, Go ahead. Yeah, I want to bring Priyanka in, and then I want to point out a, a, a law here against uh, um, discrimination. Anyway, Priyanka, go ahead for a second, and then I want to point out something a little different here. Well, you can see how these uh, things interact with each other. If you couldn't stay at the end, you had to stay out in the open and be subjected to the robbers. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, those same law officials don't want you to have weapons to protect yourself. Yeah. And let's apply this to information because it, it does apply to information. So in other words, we can't stay at the inn. The inn is Facebook, just for an example. Everybody else can stay at the inn, but we can't. So we can't talk to people in the inn and they can't talk to us. So because of that, we have, they are unfairly discriminating against us in law by not letting us into the party. 
not letting us into the, uh, the, the and I think that's what I say, it goes against public accommodation. They simply can't do that if they're open to the public. If they're a closed group with membership, with dues, yeah, but they're not because they make their money off the information that people supply to them. So they're actually taking information from everybody and using it. That's how we actually pay for it. So there is a currency involved. So we're paying for a service with an information, and yet they won't let us use it. So that's, that's another problem I just thought of. Yeah, then what complicates things when you have politicians use those media services, those media entities as a political weapon, and also groups use it as a political weapon to shut up and silence that which is opposite of them. Yeah. Yeah, there's another problem um, in that the restriction of information killed about a million people with COVID because they didn't learn about early treatments and allowed the 2020 election to be stolen. You know, so there's some horrible problems here that go along with this. Let me just point out one little piece of federal law, and I got a, we have a new caller. I want to check on the caller in just a second. Uh, this would be federal, uh, this is U.S. Title Code 42, uh, Section 2008, Prohibition Against Discrimination or Segregation in Places of Public Accommodation. Is equal access. All persons shall be entitled to the full and equal enjoyment of the goods, services, facilities, privileges, advantages, and accommodations of any place of public accommodation as defined in this section without discrimination or segregation on the ground of race, color, religion, or national origin. Now, I would also say ideology applies too. Equal enjoyment of, of uh, Google, Facebook goods and services is being denied conservatives. This is my, my little addition here. Uh, through discrimination and segregation of public accommodation of the public information highway. So it's basically what I'm saying. But the law here, Title 42, Section 2000A, says you cannot discriminate in places of public accommodation. So why doesn't that apply? So is Section 230 in conflict with this? And how come that hasn't been resolved? This actually kind of overrides Section 230, doesn't it? Or do they have equal weight under the law? That's a Jonathan question. Maybe ask that. I mean, it's a simple answer is, 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 is in my opinion, is called lobbyists. Um, uh, but okay. um, these, these companies that were supposedly, I mean, look, these companies were protected by these things on the grounds that they were going to go out of business if they weren't protected. They're some of the richest country companies in the world. Um, <clears throat> they, uh, but what, what is your, I mean, I'm not sure I caught your question, but it was, but yes, there. Well, you got two texts. You, you got two texts. The, the statute, you're yeah. taking Section 230 is inherently self-contradictory. Well, that's self-contradictory, but it also is contradictory with this Title 42, Section 2000, which is you cannot discriminate in areas where there's public accommodation. And I don't think there's anything more public than social media and search engines. Right. Well, the, the, the problem is, is that the courts have, I mean, the courts have this idea that, that something that, that you, they have to declare something to be but like something we're probably going to get into this later um, shortly mm-hmm. okay. um, <clears throat> but they um, they have things where um, <clears throat> where you know you can't you have fundamental rights for example you have mm-hmm. a right to free speech mm-hmm. and that means that um, the government can deny you the right of free speech if they show that they pass strict scrutiny. 
Yeah, see, I don't buy that. So I think I think that's a bogus. That's a completely bogus legal theory. Yeah, There's well, no justification I, on the Constitution. Yeah, that's just my view. No, no, no one with both a brain and a conscience buys that. Um, but um, I mean, there are people who who are who have brains who are evil who might <laughs> buy it. But anyway, yeah. Um, the um, but but so the thing is, but the weird thing is, is that only certain rights have been um, coronated by our courts as being fundamental rights. So if wait, the wait, government wait, wait, what's the difference between, well, hold on, this is, this is important. What's the difference between a fundamental right and a right? Uh, no, it, it, a judge. <laughs> uh, the, the, different, the difference is... I'm sorry, is, that's funny. <laughs> it's true. I mean, the... the, the no, I believe the, you. That's why it's funny. The, the difference the difference is that the judge that, is that a judge has blessed certain rights. For example, the right to abortion has uh, was always commented right. on as a super yeah. a super right. There is no right to an abortion. Um, There's no right to marriage. Well, either, I know, because it involves more than one person. And here's another question: Doesn't a right exclusively involve the actions of one person? Because you cannot enforce your actions over somebody else, or it's not a right. Nor can someone else press your ability to exercise it, or it's not a right either. A right is something you exercise individually. And since abortion affects three people, it couldn't possibly be a right. How come that never made it into Roe v. Wade? Well, I'm, I'm trying. I mean, I, I okay, not a whole different topic. We, we could talk about. But well, I wanna, the thing I wanna, is that yeah. I believe that uh, the pro-life community, um, you know, of which I'm. A member, although I think there's different factions or whatever, but I think um, they're completely blowing it because we're, they're, they're not trying to change hearts and minds. I, I thought it was always clear well, all along that. But let's bring it back to Section I mean, 230. Let's bring it back to Section 230 because what if big tech says you can't do that? That they, because they believe that abortion is a fundamental right, as you've said, that anything that goes against that should not be put on social media because they find that objectionable. Yes, well, and they do. Um, I know. But, uh, yeah. but, you know, but like I say, I think, that, I think that the pro-life community needs to focus on the child, and we're not. We're focused on, um, we're, we're trying to talk about God to people who don't believe in God. We're trying to um, talk about all kinds of things, and and what we're not doing is focusing on the child. Um, yeah, not not point. not enough. But anyway, well, you got the same thing when it comes to assisted suicide, right? Is that right. <laughs> okay, let's. Uh, I'm bringing it back to section two thirty a little bit here. Uh, actually, this is something that I've talked to Jonathan about before with my lawsuit. Um, there's another title here, section Title 42, U.S. Code, Section 1983, Civil Action for Deprivation of Rights. Every person who, under color of any statute, ordinance, regulation, custom usage, and that would include Section 230, of any state or territory or the District of Columbia, subjects or causes to be subjected any citizen of the United States, that would be us, or other person within the jurisdiction thereof, not sure what that means, to the deprivation of any rights, privileges, or immunities secured by the Constitution and laws, that would be free speech, shall be liable to the party injured in an action at law, suit in equity, or other proper proceeding for redress. This gives me, in my lawsuit, the ability to sue big tech for violating 
my rights not only to free speech, but my rights of commerce, my ability to earn a, earn a living and, and pursue yeah. my business right. and secure property. But this is also this is also has the the aspect of legislatures who do a terrible job writing laws create okay. a mess, and then they try to fix the they they try to fix the mess they created and they create a bigger mess. Right. Um, because, for example, the part of the issue behind six two thirty was child pornography mm-hmm. um, being shared on there. I know that one of the things that concerned women, I mean, uh, the Christian coalition was um, focused on was, uh, uh, what was it called? Uh, did, I mean, what, we call, what today we call deep fake or something like that. They were, they were mm-hmm. oh, what's, the, what's the word? They're, it was child pornography that was not of a real child. It was, it was a, you know, their fabric their, their oh, like animation. Yeah. Animation. yeah, animation. Yeah, in other words, yeah. Also, oh, there was there were like avatars that were just simulating. Three, it's, uh, 3D computer form. generated. Well, not three three, not just, Yeah, but not just cartoons, but but things that look like real children having real sex, but they're but they yeah, they would that's three D animation. But they would say that that's legal because they're not real right, people. So, right, and, and so you know so. They would say, well, it does, it's not child pornography because there was no actual child involved. Mm-hmm. And, and so part of the idea here was that, was that you know, oh, you know, people, the Facebook or other people won't be able to remove objectionable things or Wait a um, Wait ads for crime. All right. Here's, here's where my law, I think, addresses this completely. Title 18, Chapter 71 of the federal code, obscenity. There's an entire chapter on obscenity laws, which govern the internet as they would govern publications and posters and newspapers and magazines and radio and TV and every other form of media. So what I contended in my law, the reason that I got rid of that, that bottom part of section 230 of them removing stuff is that big tech has no business being police officers. They're not sworn officers. They have no business being state actors and Everything that they could possibly remove that was, you know, lewd, lascivious, filthy, graphically violent, or otherwise objectionable, we'll talk about those last two words in a minute, is already covered by the obscenity laws. It's already covered by the pornography laws, especially the child porn laws. Everything that they could remove legally is already, well, everything, everything they could want to remove is already covered by other parts of the law, given to the proper well, authorities. Well, you know, now that law yeah. enforcement, state law enforcement, local law enforcement, you can arrest a child porn person. If someone's posting child porn on the internet, you can arrast them, and you can remove yeah. that stuff from if the it's internet. Real, if but it's, it's real, if it's real live children, you know, not no, no, they break. Uh, they have sex. Uh, no, you're, you're missing the want. point. You're missing the point, though. The point is that the big tech is not law enforcement. They cannot remove stuff. All they can do is provide the service, just like the phone company. The phone company doesn't kick you off if you make a uh, if you uh, you know make a threat against a public official. You, the, the government comes and arrests you for making a threat against a public official, but the phone company's not liable for that. They can't delete your conversation. They can't, they can't, they can't cut you off. Where that falls into where that falls into a problem is that if you post child porn on mm-hmm. a media where everybody can come see it, especially mm-hmm. those that's under the age, 
whereas you couldn't go into a porn theater because you're underage. No, I think we're we're yeah. we're, we're mixing issues here. Well, but no, but, but the thing is, both both are true because, um, uh, you know, there there, I mean, this is um, I I don't know what to call it, but this is there there this is a whole other issue where, uh, you know, colleges and universities have to um, prosecute and punish sexual abuse or, or rape on campus, and. You know, and, and the answer to that is, well, what, ha- what happened to 911? Yeah. Yeah, wh- wh- why don't you just call 911 and have the police come and do their job? But, but, the, but the left has had this, this idea that, that, the, that every institution should be part, you know, should be enforcing everything that they think is a law. I guess because I guess they think that, you know, that police officers are secretly all sexist males who, uh, you know, who won't prosecute rape or something like that. So they try to go around um, things like that. But there has been this huge impulse to want to make institutions that you say, like you say, are not police officers to be involved. And we have, we have unfortunately just accepted that. Um, yeah. So over you can you know, and you can you can not tolerate the material, and you can, of course you don't have to look at it. But what I'm saying is the fact that uh, uh, in in order to protect the rights of free speech for everybody, you know, some people may post things that are horrible. Okay, so you can either turn those off as an individual, or if it's illegal, if they post something that's illegal, it's not up to big tech or the colleges or anybody to remove that material. Because if you give them the to power to remove some material, you give them the power to remove all material. And this is what this whole good faith thing well, is that I want to get and, into. And the not only that, clause. but you point out, you point out a, good, a, a good point because if, <clears throat> you know, the FBI has a tip line and, and they have a, you know, a tip page and you can call 911. <clears throat> so, you know, if, if somebody is, if somebody is uh, advertising on social media mm-hmm. for a hitman to kill his wife, you know, is it up to Facebook to remove the ad or is it up to the police to go arrest the person? Well, now the police can also have it removed from the Internet, can't they? They could, but, but frankly, they wouldn't want to. Because, because, for example, when, you know, my brother had a, you know, worked in a business that's regulated. Uh, it's a long story. It was regulated under the part of the, um, oh, what's it called, act, the uh uh, oh shoot! Uh, the, the after 9/11, you know, in, in, oh, in trying Patriot to stop fund- Patriot Act. Yeah, yeah. There was a small part of it, well, a big part, but a small part of the whole that dealt with um, uh, financing. And the diamond industry had to report if they had any red flags that 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 the sub that there was a possibility of financing terrorism. And the Treasury Department would say, don't tip off the person. Tell us, don't do anything. Because they may want to catch, they, they might want to, you know, track the person. Uh-huh. So, so, you know, so they would say, send us this, send us, fill out this report, send it to us, don't say anything. Because, because good law enforcement, you know, so if somebody is advertising to have, 
a hitman, they might want to uh, do all kinds of things. I mean, they might they might want to, you know, protect the wife and have a stakeout and catch the person in the act. You know, so so there's, but we've somehow got this idea that you know Facebook is like you say is a police department, and, and, and all these other things like that. Yeah, yeah. So I've got. Uh, it, oh, go ahead. No, it's just interesting. You know, it's complicated stuff. It's. Yeah, I got I got a complicated question for you in a second. I got a listener here. Uh, I got a caller who has traditionally been a listener. They haven't actually said anything on the air, but it looks like they want to say something this time. So I got to go off air for a second and and uh, and, and talk to them. But my question though. And here's something that I guess is the only solution to this is that say someone posts child porn. Uh, that's horrible. I mean, nobody should see that stuff, right? We all agree to that. Um, but we also don't want Facebook, you know, removing completely that because then they're going to remove something they consider obscene, which would be, you know, an ad for Donald Trump. So there's this, there's, so it would be interesting to see if there's a way that they could block something but not remove it. In other words, until there's a conviction so, or, some, or at least an arrest or some kind of due process. So at what point do we give big tech to, to block something that's obviously illegal, like child porn, but not have them remove it so at least it can be traced? Could they simply block it from view but still have it there pending an official law enforcement investigation? Or, you know, I, I like I say, I don't want to see that stuff there. But on the other hand, I don't want Facebook being able to delete my shows, which they do. Or delete my post. Yeah, but, but or, or. I started out on this topic by saying that that instead of writing good laws, right. where the, the legislature would say, you know, these are the things we're worried about, yeah. they, they they write these gobbledygook laws that that you know are like dragnets and um, don't make any sense. Yeah, let me I mean, let me they, just leave for a second, law, and I'll be right back. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna go talk okay. to this call. You get, yeah, you guys chat for a minute. All right. Can you still hear me, Pianchi? I think we lost. I think I'm. No, he's still there. He's still there. I'm still here. Yes, too. I can still... hear you. Okay. Well, so, go ahead. Yeah. What are you? Uh, were you going to say something? No. I, oh, you know. Well, you know, we talk about censorship. Oh, high school newspapers, college newspapers are censored. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they are, and they have. Um, they say, in fact, um, a judge just decided, I think last week, that a T-shirt saying there are only two genders, that the high school can ban that from school grounds. You know, because they, they use this idea that free speech could interfere with the educational mission, which I, I can't accept. Um, you know, but they've got all these excuses. So they say that a high school or a college newspaper is not the same as a standalone newspaper, and I think that, you know, that's sort of a very slippery slope. Um, I'm sorry, did I, did I cut, did, did, was that, did I cut you off? No, that was a, a good example you gave of current events. Yeah, so... Um, but, but like I say, I, I just, uh, the more I see all these things, I, 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 I believe that the, one of the best things to do is for con is for Congress or state legislatures to just write better laws. And I'm back. I mean, they, 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 okay. 
I mean, uh, they love to write these, you know, these dragnet laws um, instead of stopping and thinking about what they're, you know, what they're really trying to do. And they end up creating bigger problems than what they started with, in my opinion. But anyway, so what's, so, okay, so what are we doing? Well, let me get the solution out here. Um, so so we, we know what the problem is. The problem is that there's a contradiction between uh, providing immunity from big tech or for big tech so that no matter what anybody posts, illegal or legal, they're not responsible. And then saying that they can, in good faith, remove anything they find, and these are the two keys here, objectionable or stuff that's constitutionally protected. So I want to talk about that real quickly, then I want to go into the, what, what our, our solution is. So how is it that Big Tech is immune from anything post or anything in a, in a message um, or any, any arrangement of their search engines? They're immune from, from uh, you know, any problem doing that, but they can remove anything they find objectionable. How is that possible? And we'll talk about the Constitution. How is it possible? And, and not remove, that, but even, if it's con- excuse me, even if it's constitutional. Yeah. They can't the, do that. The statute, even if it's constitutionally protected, which yeah. ought to make 230 unconstitutional on its face. Yeah, but it's been around since 96, Jonathan, the Clinton administration. Right. How is it possible for a law to be around from, since 1996 that says that the Constitution does not apply, that the Constitution, if it protects something, this little statute, which is subordinate to the Constitution, can void it? That's impossible. Right. Well, and I, I think you, 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 you bring together, you know, it, it's been one of my bugaboos that, you know, that, um, you know, there's been these controversies about um, some guy in a college is accused of, um, you know, of uh, a, you know, uh, of sexually assaulting a woman, but with a rape gaze or he asked her out without getting consent first or something like that. And, and again, you know, if you detect a theme in all this of what I'm saying, I'm not minimizing the, the, you know, the, the seriousness of real problems. I'm against vague, you know, flexible laws that, where you don't know what they mean. Um, and, um, and so they're, you know, they're subject to being, uh, what's the word, you know, like silly putty or something like that, where, well, um, here, here's an example. I mean, so say, so a woman accuses a man of rape and she tells her story all over social media. And the man says, this is ridiculous. I don't even know who this person is. Like Trump and that, uh, you know, department store woman, whatever her name is. Right. Says, I never met this person. So what if social media said, which they do, that the woman gets full coverage for her story and they don't want to publish the man's story because, because that's false information. They find that objectionable. And that's legal under Section 230. That's insane. But then, but then the college or the student, the student body government will bring him up, the guy up on charges mm-hmm. within the university uh, with no due process that he would have in the courts and, you know, expels him um, from the college based on you know, these allegations, which again, if, you know, well, I, I mean, I don't know, but, but, I, but I, as I say, I'm not, I'm not attacking as people will probably claim, you know, a serious uh, wrong, 
I, I'm attacking the fact that you have these fuzzy laws when you read them. For example, mm-hmm. with the January 6th thing, I'm just doing something, you know, some things now where people are accused of assaulting a police officer. Mm-hmm. But that's not what the law says. The law says assaulting, um, impeding, interfering with, or intimidating. And we had one case that the guy who put his feet up on a desk in Nancy Pelosi's suite, not on her desk. Oh, I know this. I know that I've seen that person on the news. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Richard Barnett. So he, he went up to the line of police and it was very, very loud. So he yelled and he was excited. So he yelled and he asked for permission to go back and get his American flag because he cut his hand and and he forgot to bring his American flag with him. Mm -hmm. Now, distracting the police officer is in the same statute as assaulting a police officer. Hmm. So, so the fact that he asked the police officer a question was interfering with the police officer's duties. (laughs) And and, and so he was guilty of the exact same um, law as if he had beat the police officer over the head. And so that's what I'm, I'm against. I'm not, you know, I'm not in favor of actual, you know, misconduct. But the fact that, you know, that, that again, we have sloppy legislators who are in a hurry to go out for a liquid lunch with, with lobbyists and they don't, they don't write good laws. Yeah. But well, um, so anyway. Well, let me give you a concrete example so, of something that happened to me on Facebook. Um, when Dr. Uh-huh. Zelenko was alive, Dr. Vladimir Zelenko, the one that uh, came up with Zelenko protocol, hydroxychloroquine, uh, later ivermectin, uh, zinc, vitamin D3, vitamin C, uh, azithromycin for pneumonia, which actually killed more people than anything else. Bacterial pneumonia in the ventilators was, was the major cause of death in the hospitals, we're now finding out. Um, we had something called the Zelenko Action Radio Coronavirus Clearinghouse. It was a group we had on Facebook. People were able to talk directly to Dr. Zelenko, which is an incredible privilege. Uh, learned about ivermectin, which I was a little suspicious at first. What's this ivermectin stuff? I, was, I thought there was some people were like pushing some new product. And then, so I asked Zelenko, I said, no, that's good stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So we were actually able to disseminate life-saving information in my Facebook group. And, and you can guess what Facebook did with that. They disabled it. So I was not able to um, get that information out. People were unable to talk to Dr. Zelenko directly, who had saved thousands and thousands of people from COVID. And yet they right. disabled my, my, you know, so that's, that's you know, and, they, and it was legal under Section 230 because they, they objected to it. They said, I violated community standards. I was giving false information. I was doing all these things that they, they uh, uh, said, you can't do that. And in fact, they killed people by removing that clearinghouse because we, we had vital information. That was saving lives. Zelenka was saving lives. We had actually, with the stuff we were talking about, were saving lives. And yet, they were able to basically remove that information, and upwards of a million people died in the remdesivir ventilator death march, and now the vaccines are killing people. Now, I can't say that, you know, according to what I just said, would be removed if big tech heard it, and and they'd cancel my show, if they could, which they won't. And And that's true. You know, just... Add to that the fact that they, you know, to, just, to, 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 put, to put it out there and say, you know, you might want to look into these things mm-hmm. is one thing. But, but Facebook is acting 
you know, is practicing medicine without a license. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, they, then, we're going to be the arbiter of whether or not, you know, whether, you know, which, which medicine is good or not. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, they're, they're, it, it's a crime to, to, to practice medicine without a license. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say the greater danger that's like saying uh, the, the gun controllers who say, well, we get rid of all the guns. You know, we might save a life. Yeah, but you've, you, you, you might cost untold thousands of lives, and you've completely removed the freedom that we enjoy as Americans. So, you know, if you're looking on balance, you lose. You know, same thing here um, with this, with, you know, what they have done was lethal, you know, in removing the information that we had to offer. And yet they get away with that. It's crazy. So here's my no, solution. But it, it is- Go ahead. It is an interesting point that, you know, I, I, I haven't seen putting the two together like this, um, that, you know, how um, the, the, the instinct, to, you know, to like to say to have non-law enforcement mm-hmm. um, enforce the law. I mean, that, that, that I don't know where that came from. It became enormous, you know, an enormous um, tsunami of wanting to have institutions that are not law enforcement, mm-hmm. nevertheless, um, enforce, the, enforce the law. Well, and and I, I, I haven't thought about it in this context, yeah. but, but it, is, um, it is a very strange idea. Well, that's why I wrote the law. Here's another one, too. Um, you know, people say, well, we can't have child porn people putting stuff on the Internet. Well, of course you can't. But, in, in allowing, but we can't have big tech removing it either. Now, maybe they could temporarily block it or something like that pending, you know, law enforcement investigations. But the, the greater loss in giving, you know, big tech the power to remove porn rather than just suspend it, which I think could be written into law. But being able to remove it, they then remove the coronavirus clearinghouse that I had with Dr. Zelenko. They then remove, right. you know, everything that we do here and everything everybody does. They remove Trump. They remove all this stuff. And the fact that that. Uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Elon Musk bought tr- Twitter. Twitter still suppresses us. I think I've gained four people in the last three years to my Twitter account, which is impossible because I post a show every day, but only about three or four people see it. Now, how is it possible that I can post a show that no one else does in the world that has broken ground in every possible area you can think of in citizen legislation and broadcasting and only have three followers in three years? That's suppression. Mm-hmm. I only have two or three people well, see it per day. That's impossible. Right. So, well, to, and, and to, to repeat myself, they, um, mm-hmm. um, they, uh, um, oh, now I don't remember what I'm repeating. Um, but, the, <laughs> but the thing is, is that, What's is that <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, but, 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 uh, shoot, now I forgot what I was, what I was going to say, but, the, but, but the thing is, is that, um, oh, I was going to say that what do they, you know, what do they say, like they, they bring people up to Capitol Hill to testify. Mm-hmm. What do they always say? Oh, that's, we, I can't talk about it. That's under investigation. You know, w- when something happens, the, the local sheriff gets up there and says, we can't tell you everything because we don't want to tip off, you know, the people we're investigating. That's two totally um, different things, though. Because not telling Congress and not telling media is totally different. Because I've got to answer that. I'm hoping to get Matt Gates back on the show. I'm going to talk to him about this very topic. Because Congress has oversight ongoing investigations. So, of course, That's they can true. ask about them. 
So if but I'm just saying their, 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 their position is mm-hmm. that the, their investigation would be hindered <clears throat> by, you know, by releasing information too soon or stuff like that. No, but so, Congress can so make that why, determination. Why would you, why would you want what? Well, Congress can make that determination. That's part of their oversight. They can say, well, you give us the information, and then we'll tell you if it can be released, if it's going to damage your case, or whether you're just doing it to protect yourselves from being embarrassed or indicted for criminal activity. That's what oversight yeah, is. There, yeah, there, there, that, there is a similar procedure in a, in a court. It's like called in-camera review, okay. um, the, where the judge, the judge, it's not public release, but the judge will review it and then decide whatever the government asks them to do. Um, the, um, um, but the, uh, but the, um, um, but the, the idea that the idea that if, you know, for example, the, the, the rash, the, the biggest rationale against child pornography is the incentivizing or normalizing of injuring actual real children. Right. Um, the idea that, you know, if someone, if there's child pornography that was generated say 10 years ago, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, they say, well, it, um, you know, it may not, it, it, it may not harm, I mean, whatever happened to that child's already happened. But the idea is, is that it would encourage actual injury to actual children. Hmm. But I still don't see why, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen a protective order, like in a domestic relation thing or whatever. It's just a simple form that a police mm-hmm. officer fills out and submits it to the court. You know, it's like a one page form, maybe two. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I, I don't know what the problem would be to, for social media to, to remove something only if asked by law enforcement. See, I don't have a problem with that. That, that makes perfect sense, but they have to be asked. And first of all, child porn people aren't stupid enough to post on the internet because they know it's going to be traced. They know they're going to get arrested. They all do it secretly. So that's not really a problem. I don't see a lot of obscene well, stuff. I don't see obscene stuff on, on social media either because they know they're going to get arrested. If you violate the obscenity laws or <laughs> pornography laws, you're going to get your ass violated and it's going to be traced back to you. And law enforcement has access to that kind of stuff. So again, big tech doesn't have to remove it. Like I said, they may want to temporarily block something, especially if it's a law enforcement investigation, but, you have, but they should be preserving it as evidence. If they remove well, it, right. they, they could actually yeah, be I mean, protecting I, child pornographers. I think, I think that they should remove it, but they should have the cover of, even if it's just a verbal request from the investigating officer mm-hmm. to say, yeah, go ahead. It's, it's okay to, you know, I've got what I need. You can go ahead and remove it now. Okay, that's fine. Because that's due process. I, I don't have a problem with that. And like I say, we don't see a lot of pornography or obscene material on, on social media because it's going to get removed and they're going to get arrested for violating the law. But what I'm saying is that big tech is not, as we said before, big tech is not law enforcement. They have no business really removing anything. Because what they do, yeah, because what they do is they remove anything that they find. Well, let me, let me see this. Pianchi's gone. So let me just get these, these two key words that what they call this is the Good Samaritan provision. This is part I don't understand. So section, Title 47, Section 230C is headlined Protection for Good Samaritan Blocking and Screening of Offensive Material. How did big tech become good Samaritans instead of business people? Politics. I mean, it's PR. Okay. Um, so yeah, but, 
But so then, um, but yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, and then I mean it's just it's dishonesty. All right. So that's so that's a mistaken characterization. Then they say any action voluntarily taken in good faith. What's the legal definition of good faith? Is it like whatever they want it to be? I mean, how do you prove well, that? Well, it, it should have. I mean, again, if you had honest judges who weren't afraid of the big bad, you know, billionaires, mm-hmm. um, they're actually, you know, they're, they're actually at least used to be some teeth to good faith, but certainly not. Certainly, this. These are, are not in good faith. Okay. Um, I mean, the, the, obviously, what's going on violates that requirement. Um, <clears throat> Let me get to our law here. Um, we, we actually have an extra 20 minutes um, because Dorothy's going to be here about uh, 10, 15 your time, 9, 15 my time. So we got a little bit of extra time, and Pianchi's left. And we've got a person who's still listening. The new parts A and B of Section 230 the first part, I keep the same. No provider of interactive computer services shall be liable for any action, interaction, anything post, any content, or any communications from or by any user of interactive computer services. Interactive computer services defined as social media and search engines. So I, I, I rearranged it a little bit. I basically say the providers are not liable for any action that a user does. That makes sense. Because of that, I can then say that they can't touch anything that a user does because they're not liable for it. And they're not law enforcement, but I don't have to say that. So here's the, here's the complex part, part B. Any contact, infringement, interaction, limitation, interference, I use a lot of words here, or any other touching in any way, no matter how minuscule, by any provider of interactive computer services with any of the following shall void and revoke all civil liability immunity from that provider. And that would be any and all content posts and any communications made on social media, any account or any account status on social media, any change or arrangement of search engine results beyond the actual raw, untouched number of hits. So if they touch what you post, if they touch your account, if they touch what's in Messenger, and if they touch search results beyond the the raw number of hits, they lose the liability immunity and they can get their asses sued. That's basically what my law says. We have sued. I sued for Jerome Bell and, Mm -hmm. and, and others. On the gra- on an additional a- aspect, um, um, that they you know that it's also a breach of contract. In a, Ooh, a, again, if I if new. I say, well, it wasn't to me, but 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 the, but again, the judges are over interpreting Section Two Thirty, and oh. part of the problem is you may have to put something in there that you know that this is to be strictly construed or something uh, because they're, they're saying that, um, um, you know, because again, if you, if you provide, you know, if you, if you have a phone service mm-hmm. and it's part of your contract and then they, you know, they shut off your phone, you know, when you say things they don't like, they're, they're not providing the service that, that you're paying for. Right. Um, yeah, and they're not responsible. We said that if you threaten a public official, they can't cut your phone line. Even though you can be arrested for threatening a public official, that's a law enforcement duty. That's not a, well, that's, that's not a phone duty. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, you know, you might you might have, you know, 20 <clears throat> FBI agents swoop down on you. Um, mm-hmm. but but it's not it's not up to the phone company. That's right. 
I agree. In the same way, um, it's not up to big tech to remove something that says the election in 2020 was a total fraud, which we know it was. Right. So anyway, um, so how much time do we have? We keep putting off. Um, the, you, 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 this is your request, the uh, drag queen case. Ah. Um, but, but let me try to do a few things. Not if anymore. You want. <laughs> you know, we, well, I think we've pretty much identified that. We've, we've covered two hours now on, on our big tech bill. I think we've covered all the issues on that. Oh, there's always going to be more. Yeah, it's up to you. You've got 15 minutes? Go for it. Whatever you want to talk about. I um, think drag queens are kind of done. Well, no, it's not. I mean, yes. I mean, no, I don't think drag queens, I don't think they're done pushing drag queens on us. But oh, I also think that, I also think that the problems with the case go to the heart of what's wrong with our courts. Oh, okay. Um, well, let's talk about that then. People, that makes sense. If people might remember um, <clears throat> this judge in uh, Tennessee, federal judge, but sitting in Tennessee, um, upheld um, or struck down Tennessee's badly written uh, law um, outlawing oh, Okay, this is different. Drag, yeah, I do want to talk about that. Yeah. How'd that happen? Drag queen laws that are um, um, that, that, that can be seen by children. Um, and, um, and here, so, so like I say, the, the issue here is that the First Amendment has been blessed as a fundamental right. So therefore, strict scrutiny applies. Um, Other rights, for example, the right to travel, which Mm -hmm. is the basis of of the heart of Atlanta um, motel case, there is no explicit right to travel in the Constitution, but it's been blessed as a fundamental right. Other rights that are explicit are not. So like, you know, equal protection under the laws, if it's not racial, doesn't isn't treated as seriously as equal protection under the laws um, based on race. So um, you know, so you can treat Republicans unequally under the law, but but not ba- not based on race. So <clears throat> you have this hierarchy of, of rights mm-hmm. that the courts just invented out of thin air, mm-hmm. um, and, um, and 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 it makes a difference. It's like if the lowest level of rights only has to be to, to meet rational basis um, <clears throat> scrutiny, which means there was some rational basis to pass the law. That's it. And what that really means is that there was no rational basis to pass the law, and, and the, the legislature didn't actually have a reason. They may have been completely superstitious. You know, it's like a dragon is going to eat the, eat the sun unless we pass this legislation. Um, but, but if the, if the court can think of one, even if it, what, if it, even if it played no role in actually passing the legislation, mm-hmm. um, they, um, they, uh, um, they'll, they'll, they'll let it go. Even if it's an explicit constitutional right and medium scrutiny, um, it, it, you know, is an intermediate thing. Now, strict scrutiny is a very hard standard to meet. So the government can regulate a fundamental right if it is strictly necessary to a compelling state interest. 
Um, <clears throat> like, I, I don't know, for example, publishing the plans for D-Day. Um, and it has to be the least restrictive means, uh, nar- the narrowest means. Um, but in, in, in fact, of course, like everything else, strict scrutiny means do we like it or not? If we like it, then it's okay. If, it's, if we don't like it, then it violates strict scrutiny. <clears throat> so in the Tennessee is case... These, is this in law somewhere, oh, or is this just something the courts made up? They completely made it up. But it's one, okay. of, the, it's one of the most... It, it's a dominant topic of discussion for the last 100, 150 years. So it is, it's, it's, you know, infected throughout all our, our constitutional uh, precedents. And there's lots of debates about whether something is or it isn't a fundamental right, which, you know, it, it, it the, um, <clears throat> which scrut- level of scrutiny applies dictates the outcome and everybody knows it. They, they, ta- they talk about the choice of scrutiny as being the, you know, essentially deciding the outcome while pretending not to. Uh, but here's some of the things that the court found. Um, the first production plaintiff showed is entitled The Tea with Sister Myotis. Because the character describes sexual acts, including intercourse and masturbation, with the potential or actuality of children present, I'm adding, mm-hmm. the court finds that the conduct of performers in this production could be interpreted by a law enforcement officer is violating the AEA. Well, no, that's a lie. It, is, it violates the AEA. What's the AEA? That's the Tennessee right. law. Okay. Um, there's no, it's not a question of whether it could be. <clears throat> no, we saw before the, the, the Tennessee law was extremely badly written. This is one that, that, that outlaws um, <clears throat> strippers, it, uh, uh, and again, in the context of being around children. And go-go dancers, I don't know, I've, you know, I, I've, in my entire life, I don't know what a go-go dancer is. I know what it probably is, but I don't actually know. Um, you know, female impersonators, all kinds of things like that. So, um, so there, there's plenty of confusion about what, um, oh, here it is. Adult cabaret entertainment is. Again, I'm not even sure what a cabaret is, literally. I mean, if I were in a saloon town and and there were a cabaret, I'd probably know what to expect, but I wouldn't be sure. It means adult-oriented performances that are harmful to minors, as that term is defined in section whatever. And that feature, Mm -hmm. topless dancers, well, that's sexual. Go-go dancers, I don't know what that means. Exotic dancers, well, they don't mean like tigers from Africa. Yeah, an exotic answer is sexual. Um, strippers, male or female impersonators, or similar entertainers. So, the, so there are things in there that maybe are not sexual, but when the court says that it might be interpreted by a law enforcement officer as violating the AEA, no, it violates the AEA. Um, if, it's, if, if it's characters describing sexual acts, including intercourse and masturbation, with children present, it violates the law. Stop it. Um, the second yeah. production is entitled Paradise by Dashboard Light because the characters portrayed sexual acts in the skit. The court finds that's a meatloaf that song. That's a meatloaf song. I don't know. Paradise um, by the Dashboard Lights? I can see <laughs> I Paradise by the Dashboard Lights. It's a meatloaf song. And they actually acted out I on will, stage. 
Okay, well, let me, I don't, I'm running out of time. The court okay, finds the conduct of performers in this production could be interpreted by a law enforcement officer as violating the AEA. No, it violates the AEA, period. Okay. If, if they're portraying sexual acts in this skit and children are present, you know, there's no possibility that it doesn't violate, because they're trying to argue that it's unconstitutionally vague in the sense that a, gover- a government official could interpret it um, without standards. You know, the, the, when a statute is so vague that it's up to the individual government official to basically make up the law as they go along, that's unconstitutional. And the, he, the, the judge is trying, to, is trying to build that case. No, it's a lie. It violates the AEA. Um, you know, if, if they had come out and they said one of them was a go-go dancer, okay, fine. I'm not sure what a go-go dancer is. Well, we got a definition. Uh, Mar- Marco looked it up. Marco's in the Netherlands. He says, go-go dancers are dancers who are employed to entertain crowds at nightclubs or other venues where music is played. In other words, like in the cages and things in the 60s. Go-go dancing originated in the early 1960s at the French bar Whiskey a Go-Go, located in Juan Le Pen. So there you go. That's a go-go dancer. Yeah, I'd probably, if I went to see go-go dancers and I didn't see nudity, I'd probably be disappointed. But I wouldn't be sure. Um, And and so the judge is admitting, the judge is using examples that are unquestionably sexual performances with children present. Um, Number three, the, uh, um, oh, oh, and and, and these videos, the judge says these videos are typical of plaintiff's productions, and plaintiff intends to continue producing these types of shows in pursuit of its mission. I don't know what its mission. I mean, you know, oh, that's, sexuality. Oh, that's the whole heart of the thing, though. Yeah. So we, we have just a few minutes left. Here. What, what's, so what did the judge say? The judge said the law was illegal. The law that says that, that, that uh, you know, the, the drag queen shows in elementary school are sexual, therefore they're adult entertainment, they belong in a cabaret or a strip club. Uh, that's the law. So said, it right? says... And what are the it judges? says that the court concludes that the AEA is both unconstitutionally vague and substantially overbroad. Overbroad, um, well, it means a bunch of things. But again, it means that, that the, um, the police officer could, could interpret it in a way that wasn't really intended. It's one way that could be. The AEA is harmful to minor standards applies to minors of all ages. So it fails to provide fair notice of what is prohibited. So the judge is interjecting this just made up out of the clear blue sky idea that it could be okay if, if it's a 17-year-old, 17-year-old. So, so highly sexualized conduct um, is okay if the person is 17, but not if they're nine. Um, and... Um, uh, which, you know, one might argue that, but that's not part of the law, and the judge just made that up out of his So what did the law brain. exactly say? Uh, what, what specifically <laughs> did the law say? And that, how, did the, how did they phrase it? The following shall it be prohibited. prohibits, what, what, what it is, prohibits um, adult cabaret entertainment um, <clears throat> where there, uh, there could be um, See, I thought it was classified. I thought just classified drag queen shows and any show that could be considered adult entertainment as something that belongs in an adult club. Mm-hmm. And that made perfect sense. To me. I thought it was brilliant, actually, that they well, said but the that problem they, is, no, they're not being specific. It's like they're uh, lumping together 
they're lumping together male or female impersonators. Right. And so they're saying that if a if a man dressed up in spandex is doing the exact exact same thing as a cheerleader dressed in spandex would be doing at a football game, that that's um, an equal protection violation. But but let me let me let me finish. So they have a problem with a female impersonator. Like what is necessarily objectionable about pretending to be a woman? And the answer is nothing. The answer is that is that female impersonators, a hundred percent of the time, are 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 accompanied by highly sexualized conduct and and nudity, and, and these people just can't help themselves wagging their parts in the face of patrons and especially children. So if someone though. just wants to pretend pretend to be a woman and and be you know like if, if a man wants to pretend to be the Queen of England, like say the um, Monty Python's Flying Circus, and <laughs> act just like the Queen of England, but it's a guy doing it. There's yeah. nothing to. There's nothing. Oh, Benny you know, Hill made a career of dressing up as women. Uh, right, but he didn't. He didn't take his clothes off and and simulate sex and no. wag his. You know, they, well, Benny Hill got a little so crazy, a but, but it was always an adult show, and people knew that. But there's got to be a line. There's got to be a line somewhere that says that. You remember the movie Some Like It Hot? Um, Jack Lemmon, Walter Matthau, I think it was. Or no, Jack Lemmon, Tony Curtis, dressed up as women. It was back in the 40s, black and white film. It's funny. There's nothing sexual about it. It was hysterical. Marilyn Monroe was in it, right. too. And there so, were traveling so the dance troupe. Yeah. The law suffers was, from a failure. The law suffers from a failure to define... The line, and the, court, oh, the judge okay. said the a, the AEA is substantially overbroad because it applies to public property, or anywhere a minor could be present. Well, what's wrong with that? I mean, so the law is badly written, and the judge is nuts because <laughs> every one of these things I'm pointing out to you right. are standard legal analyses that would go the other way if the judge <clears throat> wasn't trying to protect drag queens. Well, that's Finally, really what's going court, on, isn't it? I mean, that, that, this is a yeah. liberal activist judge that wants drag queen sex shows in elementary schools. That's really what's happening here, to desensitize yeah, or and destroy wants, the morals of this country or he wants through to be children. Liked, or he wants to be liked by the people who want that. Um, oh, okay. I mean, because a, a standard analysis would be to segregate, to it make, you know, so the, a, a standard analysis would be to say <clears throat> that I, that the statute is constitutional as to topless dancers, exotic dancers, and strippers, hmm. or similar entertainment that share in those qualities. So it's enforceable against the obviously sexualized behavior with minors present. But I'm not going to enforce it to go-go dancers or male or female impersonators. That would be the standard way of dealing with the law, is to say that this part of it is okay, this part of it is not okay. This is the law. But the well, judge the law doesn't do all that. Time. The law draws lines. I mean, that's the whole point. I mean, there's a difference between Van Halen dressing up in spandex and dancing around a stage, which is funny. Um, and, you know, if they did it for, for a bunch of elementary school kids and, you know, wave their parts in the kids' faces, that would be sexual, and you can't do that. But we all know the difference. We draw lines. We draw lines all the time in everything. There's a difference between depositing in a bank and robbing it. You know, there's a difference between right. a sex well, show 
for kids and well, what, uh, and well, uh, modern dance show. Although those kind of get close sometimes too. But what what this judge is doing is saying if mm-hmm. I could think of any way in which there could be some part of this law that is that is objectionable, <clears throat> then I'm going to throw out the whole law. And there is a there is a well established um, concept of that. It's called a sever, severability. When can okay. you when can you strike out? It's like the Voting Rights Act. Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court struck out Section 2 because he said it was obsolete. The, the Supreme Court said it no longer applied. But they left the rest of the Voting Rights Act intact. In, in mm-hmm. that, that is a standard severability analysis. This judge just used things as an excuse to, you know, to support da- drag queens and force drag queens in our face. So, um, for example, he said, acceptance of defendants' proposed narrowing construction under the guise of the constitutional avoidance would require the court to rewrite the statute. No, it wouldn't. That's just a lie. It, it would violate the principle of separation of No, that is, this, this judge is, an, is either completely dishonest or an ignoramus because there is a well-established body of severability that applies, and you can clearly, you know, for example, the, I mean, he, try, he tries to fabricate, tries to fabricate this idea, well, the whole thing. So then they go through all these, all these issues. So, um, um, you know, so so it's just it's just your your typical abuse of the rules. Everything about these court cases is rules for. Rules for thee, but not for me. Is that is that the rules apply when they benefit me, but not um, but not the other the other way around. So I mean, so it's it, this entire case. While it starts it starts off with a badly written law, the 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 judge then you know just commits judicial fraud based on that badly written law, and. Um, so I- yeah, I got Dorothy on the line, so I gotta, we want to sum up here in a bit. All right. So, what is the what okay. is the remedy for this? Where where does it go next? What is the the way through this? Because we don't want drag queens in the schools, uh, but drag queens in the in the adult clubs is perfectly acceptable. That's where they should be. Right. Well, no I would start. I would I would start with public humiliation of okay. of these judges. <laughs> well, um, you know me. I don't believe so, they have uh, that authority. Uh, judicial review is something I want to challenge anyway. Especially when I get uh, Dershowitz on the show, that's going to be fun. Right. <laughs> Still working on that. That may, that's actually possible, by the way. So uh, you're going to want to be All on right. that one. Well, thank you, Jonathan. Yeah. Any, any, right. any uh, last point? Okay, I guess we got it. We'll yeah. talk. We'll, we'll talk okay, later. sounds good. Thank you. All right. Whew. It's been a fun day. This is a two-year anniversary uh, of our bill to uh, um, basically eliminate the ability of big tech to censor all of us. And so uh, we're going to take a – Dorothy might pick that up. Maybe not. We'll see. But anyway, uh, as we make our biggest switch of the week from uh, politics to sex and sensuality, let's get going. Sex. Everybody talks about it. Some of you are even doing it. But – Are you really talking to the person you are doing it with? It all comes down to communication. That's where Dorothy Diana comes in. Dorothy is a sexual health nurse educator. She has studied hypnotherapy, Reiki, 
and many other disciplines. And what is sex without sensuality? Something has to light your afterburner. Join us now for a sometimes very frank and occasionally quite descriptive conversation of sex and sensuality with Dorothy Diana. Well, good morning, gorgeous. What's going on? Good morning. Oh, I like that. Um, I like that greeting. Yeah. So yeah, I've been I've been on the lake for a week sailing, learning Ooh. to sail. Sex on a boat. Yeah. Should we talk about that sometime? Um, Cruises, well, I will romance. Say more in vain with my philosophy, um, being in tune with the wind and the water, like intuitively, mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. felt like I could tap. Here we go. I felt like I could really tap into my feminine energy. I felt like. I felt like the power of intuition was very is very needed when sailing. So, the group I was with. Well, is there any place you can't on... tap into your feminine intuition, Dorothy? <laughs> I don't think we found one yet. <laughs> there is no such place. Well, this was so profound though and powerful. Meaning, if you're if you're just going by data, um, sailors are very intuitive. Like good sailors, it's really interesting. Like if you're just going by data, like mm-hmm. the wind speed and the knots, I guess, and the you know, mm-hmm. velocity and the, and the waves. And I, mean, I don't know, it's, it's great, but you know, I sailed with some really great coaches this week and I felt like the really good ones were sort of very calm and grounded and, and, and tapped into their intuition. And for me being on the water with the wind, I just felt really just connected and free. And so that it was a great week. Um, yeah. And you I spent a week on a boat. Here also. How big was this boat? Well, we every about? day, Every day, you know, I dropped the kids, they had sailing, and then I'd go over with the adults. And from, you know, nine, we do a little bit of lecture on, you know, nuts and bolts. And there's a lot of language with sailing that's completely different. Mm-hmm. And then we go get on the water on Flying Scots. And they would partner us up and put us with a coach. And every coach was a little different. And we learned to sail and be brave. <laughs> it's kind of scary sometimes. No, this is wonderful. So now I actually raced sailboats in high school. I had a friend that had a boat. We used to race these lightnings. So I'm familiar with spinnakers and hiking out. You know, I used to have my, my ankles in these straps and leaning way out to keep the boat level so we yeah. get more speed. And one time we had jellyfish like three feet from our face. That was exciting. Um, I mean, we're talking millions of jellyfish. It was it was quite an experience. But yeah, I'm, I'm I bet very it was familiar beautiful. With oh, it yeah. was beautiful and sailing scary beautiful time, and, but, you know, and kind of cares. scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's normal. But I'm also a pilot, so I, I'm used to working with the same forces. Sailing and flying are very similar. It's very instinctive. But what you realize mm-hmm. is that you are a part of nature. And so when you're talking about feminine energy or masculine energy or energy in general, you're really talking about earth energy and nature energy. Mm-hmm. Because you, 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 you realize that you cannot you know, change the winds. You've got to work with the wind. You cannot change the waves. You've got to ride the waves. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you, you find your place in the universe by sailing. And a sail is very much like a wing. They operate in the same differential pressure. So I'm pretty familiar with the physics and all the other stuff, but also with the romance of it. You know, and, and shooting well, what is the I'm same talking way, too. About, uh-huh. When I say feminine energy in sailing, mm-hmm. I mean, for me, someone who resides in my feminine energy mostly, instead of conquering, winning, getting from point A to point B, because a lot of our lecture was on how do you go the fastest. And I realized that kind of scared me, and that wasn't my desire to go the fastest, mm-hmm. what I really wanted was to understand, like, like be not afraid and kind of surrender to what was happening in the moment and go with the wind, what the wind was telling me and go with what the water was telling me and kind of 
learn that way. That's what I meant. So we had a great balance of both in the in the week. I don't know. It's just does that no, this make is sense? Fascinating. But there's a there's yeah, a more difference like between respect and like, fear. You know, I taught respect of the air. I didn't teach fear of it. I taught respect for the airplane, mm-hmm. but not fear of it. You know, in fact, I taught respect for, for horrendous wind conditions, and I had people try and land in them. That was always exciting. Um, but, mm-hmm. I mean, we pushed the boundaries like you wouldn't believe, you know, and uh, except for, you know, if I, I would never do anything I considered unsafe. Um, but uh, but we, we definitely took up to the limits of the manufacturer. You know, they said, well, you can do this. I said, well, let's try it. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. You know, and uh, because the FAA had people so restricted, they were afraid to do anything. So we actually taught, mm-hmm. you know, what the manufacturers, what the, uh, the engineers, the laws of physics, you know, not breaking any regulations or things. But in other words, but we would teach more than standard instruction, which keeps people in a, in a little box. And with sailing, it's the same thing. You know, you can set the sail for a certain speed and you can, you know, not go too aggressively and you can, you know, not go out in too much wind and you can not do a bunch of things. But you might miss something if you just go a little further, but still not endangering yourself. So you, you kind of push the boundary. Did you, did you do any boundary pushing? You know, not, like I say, not to endanger, so, but to experience. Well, we did, and that was part of it. And okay. so I got to have the experience of listening to my heart and mm. was the fear grounded in a healthy fear because something was intuitively actually dangerous and not a good choice mm-hmm. or grounded in a fear that was maybe unhealthy and not necessary because I was with a very trustworthy, old, reliable sailor on Lake Norman, surrounded by teens and, like, 10-year-olds and opties, so the chance of something very bad happening was not high. We were not in a hurricane, although we did get fully dumped on in a lot of wind at one point. So I got to sit there and ask myself, is this pleasurable or not? What and am I doing actually, here? <laughs> yeah. So you know what's but, interesting, though? So when I asked myself that, when I asked mm-hmm. myself that, my instinct was based on cultural messaging that I was miserable but when I actually asked myself and cleared out everything else, it was pleasurable. The wind was actually very light compared to how scary it felt. It feels heavier when you have sails up. And, uh, um, and, but my instructor had taken over. She would taken over skipper, so it was all good. And, um, and the rain was warm. So I literally was like, actually, this isn't like my culture messaging would tell me this is unpleasant, but it actually isn't. It's actually kind of fun. So the problem is so your cultural was, messaging. Which is fascinating. You know, it's sometimes, like, remember when, yeah, when, when FDR, it's not really. yeah. Yeah. FDR in World War II said, all we have to fear is fear itself. You were afraid of being afraid. I was, I was like, in, my instinct was like, or my gut was like, my first reaction was, oh, my God, this stinks. I can't believe it's pouring rain now and I'm on the sailboat. And then I was like, wait, 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 really? Does it stink? Like, really? It's actually kind of fun. And now I have a story yeah. to tell. And now I've been mm-hmm. through something. And actually, the, like, this could be happening in the winter. You know? <laughs> yeah, and nobody summer. talks about being caught in the sunshine. They talk about being caught in the rain because it's more interesting. Isn't that interesting? I know, except yeah. for, I guess, people who are allergic to sunshine. So I'll tell you, my, uh, my topic today <laughs> was going to be, um, what ages do we introduce what topics? And at what ages mm. are children naturally curious? about different sexuality topics and, you know, how do we as parents and adults get prepared for that because it's super healthy for them to ask and be curious. Mm -hmm. But what happens frequently, children are extremely intuitive, as we talked about before. Um, They carry that strong intuitive energy and they can pick up very quickly on discomfort from adults. And if something is a taboo topic, they shouldn't be asking. So they pick that up by facial expressions 
you know, body language, uh, or we start uh, to, to stutter and maybe avoid the topic. <laughs> so, um, well, if they ask, was, is it inappropriate? <laughs> I mean, you know, if someone, you know, or, or do you just gear the conversation? Like if a four-year-old asks well, where babies ask. come from, or so if I, an eight-year-old asks where babies come from, or a 12-year-old asks where babies come from, okay. you can give a lot, you can give very different answers. Same question. Great question. Great question. So you have different, and you also have different curiosity levels um, of children naturally, and you'll have different understandings naturally, and you'll have different parenting styles where the kid gets exposed to things. So if you have a midwife as a mom, you know, your knowledge of sexuality and babies is going to become pretty early and pretty naturally and probably pretty healthy. It's, it's mm-hmm. actually quite a gift. If you have Dutch parents, and I'm not, going to, I'm not trying to stereotype, I know we have a Dutch listener, but I have a great group of Dutch friends, so I can only, I'm using that as an example. We should get and, more connected. Um, <laughs> hey, Marco, what do you think? You know, my Dutch, <clears> my <throat> Dutch friends feel very comfortable walking around uh, naked in front of their kids, even older kids, not intentionally, just, you know, if you walk to the, from the bathroom to the bedroom and your child walks by, it's not a crisis where you're like, you've violated them. It's just part of it. And I love this, and, and the research shows this is absolutely not damaging, What's damaging is, is intention in a dark energy direction, not, not the act of being mm. nude itself. So, um, again, so comfort levels based on family culture, right, and what the child's exposed to early on. They're going to ask at different ages, but generally in the U.S., there are general ages um, that they understand. That, so if they do ask, where do babies come from, you'd give a different answer to a 13-year-old than you would to a 4-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. 13-year-olds yeah. can comprehend anatomy, detailed anatomy, sperm, ovum. Um, they can comprehend the concept of, um, you know, relationship drama and the risk of pregnancy and, and waiting for your in a loving relationship. And they certainly have a lot of bad words by that point under the belt that you probably <laughs> want to talk about openly. And, you know, when, yeah. I, mean, I like to dress it earlier than 13, but uh, what they mean, when not to use them, how they could hurt others, how they could, you could lose friendships, and how they might be victimizing others by using that word, like it's, um, you know, degrading to certain people. So, yeah. So um, we can start wherever you like on that topic. Oh, or I so can many just... places to go. Um, well, we, we <laughs> sort of finished. I know this is so much, so much fun. Uh, we finished up with Jonathan talking about the, the Texas, uh, the, uh, the Tennessee, uh, the drag queen case. And this might be an interesting metaphor. And we we're talking about the fact that uh, uh, Tennessee passed a law which says that drag queen shows don't belong in the elementary schools. They belong in the cabarets and the strip clubs and the adult entertainment venues. And I absolutely agree. Um, on the other hand, you know, we also talked about the fact that uh, men who dress as women for entertainment purposes, you know, some like it hot, Jack Lemmon, Tony Curtis. That was funny. Or Benny Hill, always, or Milton Berle. I mean, comedians, mm-hmm. you know, male comedians that dress mm-hmm. up. Flip Wilson used to dress up as Geraldine. Uh, in the 60s and 70s. Hysterical. But it wasn't a sexual thing. These are like family shows and family movies. So it was funny. So there's a line, just like we're talking about here, what you tell a four-year-old and what you tell a 13-year-old to the same question is completely mm. different. So that might be something interesting for us to sort of go over. Uh, I don't know if you, I know you don't want to necessarily take a political well, stand, but you know, you know where, who should be giving your kids information? It shouldn't be the drag queen. Children are extremely open to diversity naturally. Children do mm-hmm. not have any prejudgment of how sh- people should be. However, what they do have is strong intuition as to someone's energy and intention. So mm-hmm. if you have a wonderful transgender friend who's full of love, light energy, does her own thing, isn't trying to push anything, just live in her life, mm-hmm. that is extremely, in my opinion, very healthy um, exposure. Um, 
you know, it, it might come up. They might overhear. I, I, you know, they're probably not because a, a healthy transgender individual is living as the gender they identify as. Completely, there's not weird conversations. They're, they're going to whisper about relationships the way we whisper. We're not going to talk about some things in front of the kids. Some things we will because at certain ages you want them to overhear your conversations so they, because mm. they want to see that adults interact about relationships and intimacy and that that's a good thing. So um, children are very open to diversity naturally. Again, as parents, we ha- we, if we do our own work and we confront our own baggage, shame, triggers, religious upbringing that isn't healthy, a lot of components of a religious upbringing may not have been healthy for us or necessarily mm-hmm. all true. Yeah, guilt. Um, whole different thing. Then we that's, can that's, meet a, that's another form of these... pornography, that kind of abuse of children, too, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So then we can meet all the things that come up with really an open heart and a very good judgment. And, and, and we look at the child and we assess what they really want to know and what they can understand. And we say it in a way that I always say, be, please be super positive about sexuality. So a lot of kids get raised in environments where um, even if the parents are thinking themselves as very open-minded, um, they hear sexuality framed in the negative a lot, like, you know, get you pregnant, get STDs, be careful, you know, when in reality, those things are definitely introduced and can be introduced, you know, even earlier. Um, anyone who has older children, the younger children knows that they're, <laughs> the younger kids are going to overhear. So whatever you're teaching the older, the younger kids are always sort of absorbed somehow. And so well, the younger ones pick up earlier anyway. Because they don't have, they have the older examples, yeah. Well, with a lot less hang-ups usually. Yeah. But you don't have to. You can present sexual education in a really positive way. Um, But really, the first step is for adults to do their own examining. At what age were they taught? At what? And I have a whole exercise I can do with adults, which is really very fun. Um, Mm And a few of them, and, and it helps adults kind of figure out what they were taught at what age and when did they actually need that information and there's usually a big gap there and then also you know what beliefs do i have about um, sexuality my own body and and not just what i think i have on the surface but what is what do i really carry and there's exercises we can do with adults to help kind of figure that out because what happens is um, when a child asks hey what are those for and points at your breast if, if if we haven't come to terms with the fact that we have beautiful, life-giving, soft breasts that we're proud of and that um, also have a lot of nerve endings and can be used for pleasure um, and that we love that whole fact about our breasts and we have a good relationship with them, then when that child asks, um, old stuff that messaging that was given can come up and they pick up on that pretty quickly. And, and the breasts become, you know, subconsciously a little bit of a taboo, you know, teasy, sort of giggly um, shameful, you know, kids have a way of processing this kind of thing in, you know, to try to heal it, whatever the baggage the parent has. Well, I was just so, thinking of the difference in answers between the father and the mother. So if it's like a teenage son asks, you know, asks dad, you know, what, what, what breasts are for? <laughs> it could be a very different answer the mother might give. I just amusing thought well, across my well, mind. Well, so parents need to be on the same page. This conversation yeah. needs to happen. And, and that's true. You're right. Like a lot of stories about you know, I, you know, I talked to my son about, about masturbation and, you know, the mom has done her research and she has um, all these talking points and she wants him to feel good about it, but no, it's private. But it's, and then the dad's like, well, this is, I'm just, can I hope I can say it? Um, this is an actual example that. No, just don't name me. names um, or, or places or people. Of course just, not. But as the long as it's going to be someone identified, I just want to give that disclaimer. But other than that, feel free. 
Well, the mother says to that, just, you know, you know, I had this talk with our son because he's coming to that age where that's going to happen. I just want to make sure that he knows it's healthy and, you know, how his body's developing and blah, blah, blah. And the dad's like, oh, I already told him he needs to jerk off regularly so he doesn't have stress. I mean, <laughs> so, um, that's great. You know, and there's nothing like it's not like that dad is abusive. He, he just this father was a businessman, not in health you know, was frequently traveling, his parents didn't talk to him at all, and he felt he wanted to have those kind of conversations because he knew, his wife knew, thought it was important, but they hadn't yet had the how conversation, and he kind of jumped the gun, he's like, I've got this one, you know. Um, well, actually, and, and so, uh, that demystifies, you know, so I would think the, the son, how was the son we're talking about? How, how was the son we're talking about? At the time, 10, 12, 14, I mean, 12, 16. 12 to 13, yeah. Mm-hmm. 12, okay, so, so we're talking puberty, right? When something mm-hmm. might happen, or, or, or the wet dream conversation where the kids say, what's this? <laughs> you know, that'd be another interesting one that uh, you know, might be explained differently, uh, males and females. But I think the mother would, would try, like you say, would be, you know, why don't you sort of couch this in, in protective language and it's okay and don't feel guilty and all that kind of stuff. The dad's like, dad's like go ahead and do it, you'll feel better. You know, I mean, that, that is, this is, this is such a fascinating conversation because the dad in a way has demystified and whereas the mother might actually impose more guilt by saying, don't feel bad about this. Well, why should I think I feel bad about this? You know, so you've already imposed that, well, do, do other people feel bad about this? So the mother in trying to be conscientious and thoughtful and caring and considerate, but actually introduce more guilt than the father says, hey, every, every guy does it. Don't worry about it. You know, we all do. We don't talk about it all the time, but we all do. Yeah. Stress reliever, everything else. You know, I mean, that might demystify well, more for so I mean, not just, all children, but not all, not all, ad, not all adolescents masturbate. Not all adolescents masturbate. So the message might be given, you need to do What's it. What's the percentage I, I, I'm male not, to female? I'm not sure of, that's of the life. best approach, but I agree the energy behind it is wonderful. Um, <laughs> I think it's funny. And, and but, in, but, in, that family, that? in that family, the kids uh-huh. know that mom is the health person and detail oriented, and they know that dad does not have those strengths. And they're all cool How do you know that? It. So they, they, because that's Why would you say dad's not the dynamic. health person? Wait a minute. Why do you He's say not dad's the not the health person? person? How do you know? In this family. Oh, in this family. I know okay. this I thought family very well. I thought, I thought you were in making a generalization. Family, I'm sorry. In My this apologies. family. Mm-hmm. So again, in this family, that your approach, you know, you're right. This, the kids at a certain age, especially are aware Mom, and and they, it's almost comical that mom has this approach and dad has this approach. And if dad's <laughs> talking about health, take it with a grain of salt because mm-hmm. dad is a CEO and he likes to be the knowledgeable one about everything, but he gets mm-hmm. out of his lane a lot. So if you want to learn how to invest and do stocks and manage your money, you go to dad. If you want to know, <laughs> hey, I've got this thing on my penis, what might it be? Go to mom. You know, or, hey, the girl's asking me you know, these personal questions where she wants more she of a wants relationship. To do you know this. what I'm saying? What, what, what's that mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, who knows? Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so, yeah. So, so you're right, though. The healthy attitude dad has shows that it's no big deal. It's normal. It's healthy, whatever. And that's great. That energy is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the questions, you know, there's, there's certain questions that certain ages tend to ask. Mm-hmm. Um but really, I think the most important point is where you're coming from as the adult. Nothing that can be stressed enough. That where you're coming from as the adult is a place of peace, joy, connection, communication, um, and, and attempting to understand what the child wants and needs when they're asking it. And so there's a few questions you can ask yourself as the adult. Um, and would you like me to go over those? <laughs> sure. 
Feel free. <laughs> okay. So the hey, first you don't have one... to. You don't have to ask. I mean, everything's fair game. <laughs> so feel free to go ahead. And, you know, believe me. I'd rather overstep and go. Gee, I can't believe you said that than to miss something. Yeah. Well, so the first question is to determine what is the child really asking. So hmm. um, a child that says, um, you know, puts their head on your chest and says, "What are those?" Oh, sorry, those are my doggies. They see a neighbor. I know um, my elderly, my elderly neighbor. They want to alert me that my elderly neighbor is gardening. Um, okay. Oh no! What a threat! <laughs> so funny. Um, so you know, a child that lays their head on your chest, a small child, and said, "What are those?" You know, maybe has needs a different answer as we discussed than a than a thirteen year old. You ever get poked by like your two year olds or your four year olds? Oh. What are those? <laughs> oh, they love. Children love breasts. You know, they're always trying to get to them, even after they wean from breastfeeding. They always want to be up in there and, like, have their head there. I mean, it's just so nice. But, you know, you give a different answer to a small child than you would to a, an older child. A small child would say, Yeah, at some point that's going to become inappropriate, how, right? <laughs> somebody, you know, those you are my breasts. That's how I feed the baby. Um, yeah. And, you know, my older boys still, if, you know, if they're not feeling good or if they just come in for a hug, sometimes we're sitting down, they'll come and put their head on my chest. They're not nestling in my breast. But... But it's just a natural place for the head. I think God designed it that way. Um, and an older child, you know, what are breasts for? You know, you want to go into details about, um, mm-hmm. you know, more details about, about feeding of the baby and development and, uh, and um, sexuality a little bit. So what is the child asking? What do they want to know? If they ask where, where do babies come from, are they asking – you know, details about the sperm and the egg, or do they just want to know mommy and daddy love each other and we lay together and a baby's made and it comes, you know, it's in mommy's body, grows in mommy's body. You know, that's a younger answer, right? This is a fascinating subject. Do kids want to know that their parents have sex or had sex to create them? They, they actually, it's our culture that makes that weird and shameful. So okay, there are many curious. cultures since the beginning of time where, you know, there's no privacy. You're in a tent with a thin wall. Children grow up hearing sexual activity. They grow up seeing um, flirting and kissing and um, hearing. They're around the village fire, and they're hearing the ladies talk about this and this. You know, we are very much protect our children, and they're not really in a natural environment so much anymore. So um, it's super important to have a relaxed, positive attitude uh, Mm because the rest of the world is not going to give that to them, and they deserve that. That makes a healthy um, adult who isn't, you know, all weird about sexuality. And then they yeah, but there's a, there's a big difference partner. between like mm-hmm. parents being affectionate and kissing and holding hands and just, you know, ha- just walking down the street, having a great time. And, and one of the parents saying, Hey, you know, my spouse was great last night. I mean, see, I mean, there's like appropriate and inappropriate, you know, so there, there as, are lines as in there, all so. areas of parenting, so as in all areas of parenting, you know, yeah. and, and, and children can know when the door is locked, that's mommy and daddy's private cuddle time. And right. I mean, they'll get the point later on. They're going to get, they're going to get it later on. And, and then, I, and I and then like they're not. So, so at what point do they not want to know? <laughs> it's like, they know, they know that people have sex. Well, that's so from it's like a disconnect. and culture. Yeah. They know people have sex. They know their parents had to have sex to create them. They may not want to think about their parents having sex, but especially if it's ongoing because they're still at home. I, I just, these are just the questions I have. But again, Greg, that's, that's literally from our culture. It's from parenting in our culture. That's not from, okay. that's not a child's natural view. You know, a child naturally separates from mom and dad and gets more independent with friends. That's natural. Right. But to right. have an aversion to the thought of sexuality 
um, is, is, is culturally given. Um, yeah. So, because anyway. why wouldn't you think so of your parents as having sex? Because mm-hmm. you know, obviously, if they're they're you know in love and they created you out of love, then uh, what's the big deal? Well, Just it also means the family bond is, is very much intact, and that's very mm. secure for the children. I think it's yeah. very reassuring when children can see their parents having physical affection with each other. Mm-hmm. And how far you want to take it from your child is up to you. I think we all pretty much accept there's certain, like you said, cultural norms that we're going to want mm-hmm. to respect. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be okay, a line so for everything. Second, yeah. okay. <laughs> the second question uh, before you answer your child is, how do I feel about the question? And that's really important uh, because that's where we talk about baggage and old messaging and blocking and giving the child the feeling that the question is embarrassing or you don't want to answer it um, or it's taboo. So how do I feel about it? And you you can just like put your hand on your heart. That's what I like to do. And, you know, even ask your heart, huh, that's so interesting. I, I feel a, I feel a block. I feel like a weird what is that? Oh, that's interesting. Where did I get that message? And do I still believe it? Can I let go of that? And can I give this child a clear, free, and positive feeling about something I wasn't given? Right? Yeah. So, but could you say, I'm just curious, you know, you say to your kid, I'm just curious, how did you think of that question? Or did that come from something, something else? I'm just, you know, absolutely. to sort of put it in context. That's a great okay, question. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's that's a fun question. That's an interesting question. What made you think of that? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Rather and than saying, "Where did that come clues. from?" Did somebody tell you? Is someone teaching you words? Well, you know, I mean, you're that's not that'd, asking that'd be the wrong child, yeah. "Where did that come from?" You're not right. asking your child, "Where did that come from?" You're asking exactly. yourself if you have a negative feeling. Was I clear on that? Well, you know, what I'm saying, but you still, but can't you still ask your kid? They said, "This is a fascinating question. How did you think of that?" Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's such a good question. I, I would. Yep. How did, where did you come up? Yeah, I would love to talk about that. Where, um, you know, and if you wouldn't love to talk about it right now because you need to go do some inner work, say, you know what? Right now, mom's got to finish this grocery list. I love that question. Can we? Can I come in your bedroom? Can I come in and talk to you about it in about twenty minutes? Would it that takes be okay? a longer answer like a, than I can tell you at this moment, but I will tell you. Or, or something about that, like you know, give me a few minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you can kind of do your own little work on it and work it out and think about how you want to answer it for that child, their age, what they want to know. and uh-huh. um, Go look it up online yeah, if you don't any... know. I mean, <laughs> nah, yeah, right. That's a good point. Yes, go look it up. Well, and, and make sure your resources are good. So these days when you go online and look at sexuality questions, it's so medicalized. A lot of it I don't align with, I'm going to be honest. So thankfully I have textbooks and my example. own resources. I like just – um, at what age, you know, at what age should you talk about condoms and, and start giving your child condoms in case something happens? Like, when do you do that for your, for your kid? Um, that's really hard to find a great discussions on that. So, mm-hmm. Well, kids have you know, sex at different ages. Well, when are kids starting to have sex these days? Has that age dropped? Is, is some parents should gonna, know about I, this? Let me, let me stick to my questions first. Let me stick to this so I want to get through the questions. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, that's well, okay. Let me just get through questions. that because you know me. we, you and I are so good at tangential speech, but um, mm-hmm. I'm getting better integrating my masculine and staying on topic. I'm practicing this. Um, no. <laughs> well, I do all the time. It's called sticking to the topic. I have to tell everybody on the show, especially, you know, Jonathan Pianchi are, are, are notorious for, for going. You think you and I go off on tangents? Listen to the hour before, before you <laughs> sometime. Anyway, go ahead. Back to your questions. Okay, so how do I feel about it was the second one. The first one was, mm-hmm. what is the child really asking? And um, the third question 
sort through before you um, to think about before you respond is what message do I want to give? You know, do I want to give more of an anatomical scientific answer? Do I want to give more of a spiritual answer? Um, I combine all of it when I'm talking to my kids. I think it all goes together kind of. And um, what, what do I think they need to hear? So you have different kids. One kid may need to hear a little more cautionary information and boundaries, and one child may need to hear more permission and more connection answer. So does this make sense? It does. I'm thinking, I'm wondering if parents, you also have to decide how much information. You know, your younger child, when they say, where do babies come from? You know, the answer, mommies and daddies might suffice. Oh, okay. That makes sense. You know, there's no stork. There's no whatever misconceptions, you know. The and they'll ask. Right yeah. If you have but, I mean, but that child might be parent it, relationship, they, so they, they, they want more, they're yeah. going to ask. Yeah. So if you give a short, simple answer, mm-hmm. um, a healthy child that's confident will, will continue to ask until they're satisfied. So I love that you brought that up um, for younger children. Well, mm-hmm. for all people, I guess, you know, keep it simple and see what more they would like to know. Um, unless you think they need to know more. So the average age children are shown porn now seems to be nine to 10 years old. So for me personally, even if they do not ask, that's a topic I'm going to bring up prior to or at that age. <laughs> and I'm going to make sure they have the information they need um, moving forward. So, you know, Makes sense. You know, I was always open with my own kid. Yeah. You know, we, we talked about stuff, and uh, we were quite open about it. So, you know, you, you, just, you get better at it. <laughs> you know, and then you can just answer questions. And, uh, you know, she always told me when she had enough information, it's like, okay. You're right. You're right. You do get better at it when you practice. That's absolutely mm-hmm. true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, and the good thing is most preschool-age children are asking kind of science-based questions, usually not really, you know, so it's easy to give a short factual answer. Okay, so what messages do I want to give was the third one. How do, you know, what, what do I want to plan it ahead of time so you're not just rambling on incessantly because you're a little nervous and your kid's a little very overwhelmed at this point. Um, <laughs> what does mm-hmm. my child already know and what information do I need to know to answer their question? So you can mm. assess that by asking them. Tell me, tell me what you know about that. And, and this will help you because if they have incorrect information at that point, you can gently correct it. And um, then, you know, going forward, they might need a little bit more ahead of time because they're getting information from, from peers that is inaccurate or other, other resources. So you might be more on top of it, kind of. Well, there's sure so much power. information now. You know, like mm-hmm, when I was a mm-hmm. kid, there was like, you know, Playboy, which, which someone had to either take from their father, you know, or, or occasionally would, you know, somehow remove from a store, which I'm not going to talk about. You know, various friends. Anyway, point being that that, right. that was the source of information, right? So, so we, we somehow secured a Playboy magazine or other even worse magazines. So that was, that was back 60s, 70s. You know, now you got the Internet. I mean, kids don't even have to go to their parents for information. They could watch YouTube. They could, they could hopefully not get porn online. You know, there are a lot of things that kids could do for information. So they almost don't have to ask their parents uh, unless they want to. That's a problem. I mean, they, I, well, yeah. Shouldn't I you ask your kids? Like- Shouldn't you ask your kids what, you know, occasionally kind of talk to them about while you're talking? When the subject comes up conveniently, say, hey, what, you know, what, what, what are your sources? What, 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 what did you find online about that? Or, you know, how do you find out what they already know? Because there's so many sources of information now. Right. So that I feel like ongoing conversations are awesome. One benefit of homeschooling, I'm just going to say, is you have a lot of time for these conversations. I, okay. I, you know, it's, it's one of many things parents are expected to do and do really well 
And when the kids in school from, you know, eight in the morning or leaving at seven in the morning, coming home, you know, late and extracurricular, like really making time for these is a little more challenging. So, you know, um, bedtime is a great time, you know, and around the table. When my kids are trapped in the car or at the table, I I launch all kinds of conversations. And um, sometimes the world. You trap your kids at the table? I say trap. Yeah. When they're, when they're in a, you know, all together in a place, Yeah. I now bring up stuff here. and they will groan and roll their eyes. But I'm like, this, y'all need to know this. We're going to talk about this. It's okay. well, just imagine you got three boys and you, and you, and you're a sex educator. I mean, what could go wrong? <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 They're like, mom. Do you wonder what they say about you? Oh, about mom's talking again. She wants to teach us more stuff. You know, what do we do now? Yeah, I'm just sorry. Yeah, what, what were you saying? But, you know, I'm very proud because my 15-year-old handles himself very well. He's had okay, quite a few circumstances where he has very precocious, sexual, sexually precocious girls around or, um, you know, uh, people that are being rejected from the group. He is I'm so proud of him. He, he's fluid with these situations, kind, has great boundaries. Um, and so I feel like it's worth it. I don't care how much they roll their eyes or groan. Um, <laughs> keep, keep talking, keep talking, keep talking, you know. Just fill, fill up their heads because the rest of the culture is going to try to do it for you if you don't. Well, that's what's uh, about the other sources of information, right? especially, you know, ads, mm-hmm. TV shows, movies, online stuff. I mean, the sources of information are, are infinite right now. So when the kids are watching TV, so I'm, I'm sort of a no TV house philosophically, but, but my, uh-huh. my life, my partner, my baby daddy, we're now divorced, um, didn't have the same view on things. So that was a little bit of a struggle. And uh-huh. we finally came to a compromise where the TV, we did have a TV and it was used for football games and, and specific things. It's never just on all day and never on without intention. And when my kids watch a movie, you know, and this is one reason I'm sure they find me kind of annoying, you know, I'm, I'm listening to the messages and I am commenting. I am the hallelujah chorus in the background saying, huh, that's interesting. You know, do you really think in real life that would be an effective strategy? Or um, why, do you think, why do you think he handled that so violently? Is there another way he could have resolved that? Like, I will do that because this goes into them as reality. The conscious mm-hmm. and subconscious brain get very confused by media. And there's lots of sexuality topics. And most of them are not good. You know, they're performative. They're manipulative. They're um, negative. Um, too much sex too early on, bad choices. So, you know, if, if the kids are watching media, know that that is a huge source of information they're getting and messaging. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't know, I'm a fan of limiting, limiting the media as much as possible. Oh. Yes. Does it affect boys, so, especially with the, this whole toxic masculinity and sanity that's going on now, that, um, you know, boys are evil, boys are bad, boys grow up to men, and men are evil and men are bad. Do you see that? transferring to the sexual areas or the relationship areas of the, like the dark side of media? I don't know yet. I don't know yet. I do know that I love having conversations with men about this, however, and I've been lucky enough this week, this week to have, so God taps me on the shoulder sometimes and to open my heart to a certain area. And lately, you know, I've, I've been getting this message that I, I might, Mm, expand my discussion 
or my research more to the masculine experience. Although I, you know, I work with. And look where you are. You're on my show. I mean, I'm a masculine mm-hmm. dude. I mean, what, what could be better? I mean, th- we ask questions, we talk about things, and uh, yeah, I try and uh, represent the masculine point of view with my masculine energy. Well, masculine is suffering, with- and the cultural messaging is is complete crap. My kids yep. know I feel that way. I point out all the time positive men around like look how much look how strong he is he really looks on his body well look at all the good he's doing in his community wow what a leader wow i do that constantly because my Hmm. voice is going to show them how men are i compliment my kids all the time i compliment their masculine qualities um i i i want to make sure they feel because i'm trying to combat that messaging that is very real right now um Agreed. Agreed. And I've had several lately. I've had several men in deep discussions with me talk about how difficult it is and how they feel um, that they're expected just to bring home the bacon. And that's their whole worth is what they can achieve and what money they can make. That's their whole worth. Yet in the home Mm -hmm. environment, they're expected to do everything, not only be the breadwinner, but now be sensitive, be communicative, you know, help with the laundry. And that the expectations are through the roof and anything less than that is a failure. and, that, and that's happening, No, there's a Facebook right? post there's like same... this. Uh, yeah, no, mm-hmm. I agree. I, mean, I remember there was a woman who put a Facebook post, and it was all about the problems with men relating to, uh, you know, to <clears throat> what she wanted from men for herself. And I said, you've completely mm-hmm. left men out of your discussion of men. The only mm-hmm. thing you put in there is what men can do for you. And, of course, most guys mm-hmm. won't point that out because they're terrified of the, the whole toxic masculinity thing. I, I completely you know, go for it. <laughs> it's like, you don't say that to me. But uh, it sparks some conversations. You know, and now we're now of course we're great friends. But uh, it's interesting when you when you point things like that out that the assumption is that men's behavior and men's characteristics and what it means to be masculine for for a lot of women is what men can do for women: bring home the bacon, shut up, you know, go sit in the well, garage. Well, you know, you know, I believe that's things. because of childhood wounding. So I believe that ah. women are not fully healed. They're not healed. Okay. So when you are using anybody, when your attitude is using. That that is that is borderline mar- narcissistic. I'm not saying it's not, but it's, it starts to edge into the field of narcissism, which is a soul depriving, empty soul experience. Yeah. And I believe that those that attitude does come from codependence, which is inner child wounding. So either dad wasn't present, or mm-hmm. he was present in a very soft, passive role, or he was, um, you know, not connected emotionally, not you know, not there for, so whatever, there's different ways that a father can present that can leave a, a girl feeling um, very ungrounded and needy as a, as a, as a adult female. So, um, so, you know, I think that maybe some of that is going on. Interesting. With that attitude. And they're weak men. Mm-hmm. They're, they're guys that simply aren't masculine. Definitely. They don't, they don't, uh, you know, exude confidence and they're, they're in the background and they won't achieve at work and they won't take the challenge. and They won't risk. And they better find somebody mm-hmm. who's compatible with them because if they have yeah. like a, a type A woman that uh, is a corporate executive and wants to do stuff, you know, uh, and, and wants a partner to do the same, this guy's not going to do it for them. So, you know, so they're guys, you know, and it's, uh, it's interesting. Well, I think, the, and then we talk about masculine and feminine energy. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's possible that that physical male, he's physically male, but he resides more in his feminine. And as long mm-hmm. as he's able to, embody all those positive feminine characteristics and uh, be the nurturer, stay at home, you know, do, do the work that's traditionally, you know, the woman's work. And um, I, I feel like, 
you know, there's a, there's a, there's room for that role reversal. If that truly, if it's not a wounded masculine energy that, that he's presenting with, if it's truly more of a feminine energy and he's attracted to a woman that holds more masculine energy and if it works for them, but someone has to be one and that's yin and yang. That's the law, right? So that's, that was one my next question. The is, have is, a good relationship. Does, mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that work out where you have say a, a more feminine, you know, guy as opposed to a more masculine woman, if we can, if we can generalize that much, I guess it would work because you got the contrast. Uh, I guess part of the problem is when you have two masculine people, the man and the woman, or two feminine people, the man and the woman, you don't have your yin and yang. You've got to have that yin and yang. You've got to have that opposite. You've got to have that difference. So what were you and I talk about? It, if we it agree does on work for some it's couples. Boring. It does yeah. work for, it works for some couples, but I will mm-hmm. say this frequently um, what I hear is the woman who's taken on that role. And it, it's more be, frequently because of cultural messaging that she gets to that mm. place and she attracts that type of man. Frequently, it's not as roses as it sounds like, oh, yeah, you just find a opposite energy. It doesn't matter what the gender is. Frequently, the woman ends up um, not actually feeling fulfilled and the chemistry is sort of fizzles. Um, a lot of women that think they want that and that attract that ends up when they do their healing work, they actually love their career and they want to go into their masculine in their workplace that they really mm-hmm. want to come home and be adored and cherished and go into their feminine. They have a really hard time with that transition, but that can be taught and practiced. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you can still attract a really masculine leader man and, and be boss bitch in the workplace. I mean, you know, it's a <laughs> challenge to make that transition, but you can. So, so I do agree that yes, there are definitely couples that are successful where, you know, there's a role reversal um, and, and, that, and that works. And, but also frequently um, one or both discover that that's not really what makes them happy. They're just kind of working on cultural messaging and child wounding. And that's why they're attracting um, certain energy from, does that make sense? <laughs> it does, but it's, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole other show. Cause it's some fascinating. It's a uh, whole other show. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. You know, I was thinking question. of, I don't want to, I don't want to lose it. I'm, I'm actually running over a little. My last question that you want to ask yourself before having conversations with your child of all ages, any, any child of any age is how can I be sure to communicate what I want to communicate? How, hmm. ha, what, have a plan going in. That's where you get to say, oh, I've got to finish this laundry and then I'll be right in there. Unless you're really well-versed, it's like your third, fourth child or you're a sex ed teacher or something, you know, or, or you had extremely evolved, happy, progressive parents that did this easily. So that was like the language in your head. You know, taking a break before you answer the question is awesome and totally okay and really good. Um, so you can make sure that you can even like take little notes, like bullet points, you know, make sure to cover this. This is a big question my kid just asked. I want to get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to make sure I cover this, this, and this. And, um, you know, if there's a little nervousness, I might forget. So just kind of be sure to communicate effectively. And, and I love the closed loop communication with, with kids and everybody, you know. So that was a fun discussion. What, um, what, did, you, what did you hear me say? Like, what is your takeaway? Like, what... Um, if your friend asks you that question, what are you going to tell them? And just kind of see what they got from it and make sure your communication was, you know, received accurately. Yeah. No, it's all very common <laughs> sense. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. In other words, you treat your kids like people. You listen to what they're saying. You know, you care enough to ask why they're asking and uh, give the best information you can without being inappropriate, either too much or too little. You know, so this is just good guidelines. Um, makes perfect sense to me. I, was, <laughs> I got a question for you next time on, on like power couples. 
you know, as to the mm. dynamics of uh, like a, like a men and women news team. So, so you have, uh, mm. you know, uh, that work together, you know, 12, 13 hour a day and then come home to the spouse and they spend more time with their work partner, you know, especially if you got a, you know, a male uh, and female lead news people. I'd just be curious when you talk about role reversal. So they I go think from... some of those relationships are, are crafted and contrived for the public viewing. And I okay. think the ones that are real, you, the ones that are real, it seems, you know, you, after it lasts many, many years, you know, especially in L.A., you'd see people out in public in their natural setting. So it was kind of interesting. It's hard to be a celebrity and live in L.A. and not have the common people kind of know who you really are. Yeah. Oh, so I think some, yeah. Well, I wasn't thinking these were sort of yeah. relationships. I'm just thinking like, how do people work together with someone, you know, of the opposite sex? Uh, we're talking heterosexual couple here, uh, and then go home. You know, and it's it's got to be an interesting thing because you spend so much time. It's like police partners. You know, if you have male female police partners, and then they go home to their their spouses. You know, I'm just wondering mm-hmm. how that dynamic works. That'd be like a whole other show. It's how do you work with some of the yeah, opposite whole sex? Show. You're obviously I, friends I, I with, and obviously really out of my lane. It's an interesting mm-hmm. discussion. It's kind of out of my specialty lane, but it's, it's definitely interesting. Oh, I don't care about that. Yeah. That's the, I love the to transfer. Specialty I lane. dated a police officer. He was he was so he was one of my most, the most nurturing men I dated. Um, huh. well, very emotionally mature and, and 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 sensitive and connected and nurturing. That was that wonderful. Makes a lot of sense. Police mm-hmm. officers save lives. They protect <laughs> people. And, you know, police officers actually yeah. a very nurturing feminine position. Don't tell the guys I said that. <laughs> hey, listen, <laughs> but this is fun. I always, you need, we need an hour from you. You know, we, we, I feel like I'm shortchanging. I know. Yeah. Today okay. I cut us short. I, I had to. My life is happening left and right. I'm getting yanked in all these directions. But this is one of my okay. favorite times of the week, and I really enjoy it. Yeah, and me I, too. I really appreciate you giving me a format where I can talk about my favorite things mm-hmm. and um, share, share what I have found helpful in my life. Well, I love having you on. You know, like I say, if I was bored, you wouldn't be here. But uh, you're fascinating, and I love the topics <laughs> oh, we're talking no. about. Yeah, that's no, great fun. Okay, well, it's, it's, you yeah, know, it's, so it's, I'm, uh, I'm on Facebook. Yeah. I'm on Facebook, uh, Dorothy Diana, and my website is yoniyun.com, Y-O-N-I-Y-U-N.com, and I have a blog there I try to keep up with. Um, and my main practice is working with women in this really fun, somatic, exotic dance practice where we feel amazing about our bodies and our feminine selves. Yeah, and I do. And we guys appreciate that too. Coaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have Sorry, sexy good time. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Darcy. Okay. Thank you again. Let's do it next week. Have a great week. Thank you, Greg. Bye bye. All right, you too. All right, take care. Um, so this is quite a day today. We've covered a lot of ground. And so the first hour, talking about our, our big tech build, this is the two-year anniversary, then our discussion with Pianchi and uh, Jonathan, and then uh, uh, as we totally switch with Dorothy. You know, this is like politics and sex Monday. Uh, I love Mondays. Mondays are fabulous. It's a great way to get the week going. So our main websites, the first one, of course, is the one you're listening to is blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Our legislative site is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Contribution site, givesendgo.com slash action radio. My substack, gregpenglis.substack.com. And my public public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. Got a few more things to play for you, and then we'll be done for today. Back tomorrow morning with uh, Brianna Cannon, Government Inquiry, and then Jesse Cossie with the Latino Report, and the third hour, eh, I haven't quite figured out yet. I might uh, continue more on our discussion uh, of our big tech bill, and of course, any news that happens between now and then, you'll know about tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Central, when we do it all again. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. 
Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Panklos Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grace Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gracecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gracecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.